0: And just as members of the Lonely Hearts Club do, I go home, I sulk. I I, I try to channel it creatively. I start a memoir that I password protect on my Dell computer called NyQuil and Chocolate Milk. My journey to healing following that incident at the Arby's. I wish that was a joke. And I drive away, play the song in my CD player. That, you know, the joke's on me because I spent hours trying to get it to burn. Only for me to ultimately need it the most when I had been burned. And my main character drives away realizing that just as snow patrol was chasing cars i was chasing boys in bars and i couldn't help but wonder maybe this arby's was a metaphor all along that the only thing more fast and casual than this eatery was our love affair if i lay here if i just
1: lay
0: Hi everybody, welcome back to the Be There In 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I thought I'd change it up this week with pulling a clip from the episode, because this episode's a bit different. Uh, This episode, uh, the first half is very lighthearted. The second half I read from old journals that are laughably intense, but sometimes poignantly. Uh, It's a fun, nostalgic deep dive that I don't know how to feel about yet, because I feel like I'm exposing myself big time here where I kind of try to tap into how I felt in certain pivotal moments of my life by illustrating uh, the real, the true intersection of popular culture and my hypersensitivity uh, and the only way I know how, which is to review my main character moments. Those moments in life where I have such a detailed memory because in real time I was uh, counting my surroundings with such granularity because I was going through something difficult or transformational or meaningful or exciting. And sometimes the only way you can really process uh, these things happening in your mind, in addition to the mundane atmosphere you find yourself in, is to almost be a little bit out of body and picture yourself as the main character in a movie. And I used to think about this all the time. And it's funny that it's now a TikTok trend to Picture yourself as the main character uh, and you, you know, put um, mundane activity you're doing to the soundtrack of a song that was important to you at a point in your life. And the joke is kind of like, why are we so emo and intense about these really commonplace things that happen to us? Yet we somehow think they're going to be such catalysts, such drivers of our future dinner party anecdotes that we separate from our own bodies, see see ourselves as the main character scored by some, you know, a song by The Fray, and uh, it helps us emotionally process and move forward, to help us understand that it's not uh, the end, it's not our our story. No, but it's but it is but a subplot, and that's why uh, today when I review these main character moments, I have to laugh because you might think I'm a little bit crazy, narcissistic, self-absorbed, intense. Sure, maybe at times I have been, but actually, I think this was more of a function of needing a way to process. And by separating yourself and imagining this uh, really difficult thing as this major plot point in a movie, you're able to see the meaning of it. You're able to realize that your life will move on you're able to see that maybe this will end up being a turning point in some way even if you can't see it now anyway so (laughs) i was starting to put together some of these main character moments for patreon but then i was like maybe this would make for an interesting regular episode because you know i my whole life i've worn my heart on my sleeve and i've never known what to do about it and I've never really known who who I can tell, who I can trust. Who, I, I, I've struggled w- with how to channel all of the emotional energy I have. And my whole life I've written in journals and in therapy, they often talk to you about your inner child, right? In cognitive behavioral therapy, at least in my experience, the spending time with your inner child is, is encouraged. And uh, what that means is there's a part of us that reacts or responds to things uh, so often that is immature, that isn't wise, that isn't Uh, responding in the mature way we'd want them to. Um, But that's the whole concept of an inner child is that at one point they were stifled. At one point they were shut down. At one point they were told, this doesn't matter. You care too much. You're being too sensitive. You're taking this too personally. Uh, You you were told you can't react. And the stifling is what makes us carry these attributes into adulthood because there was never a chance to breathe. The, The inner child was never nurtured. They were never... Uh, allowed to um, process and evolve the way an uh, actual child would need to. And I'm not explaining this well. And it's I, I highly encourage everybody to look up this concept of the inner child if you're not familiar. Um, but uh, so often we have to kind of mentally take the time to nurture our uh, reactions in this way. But this week I actually got to spend time with my for real inner child and I got my mom had saved these journals from high school. I've seen my journals from college, but from high school, the ripe age of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen when I, that I am so often uh, referencing in this podcast because I remember how I felt. But I actually got to read back how I felt in the first, per, first person. It was a very interesting experience. and I'm going to read from some of them later on. But first, it helped me really get into the zone of thinking through um, you know, the those times when I thought it was never going to get better. The many, many years I spent, uh, as I like to call it, as owner proprietor of the Lonely Hearts Club, where I was just so, so overcome with sadness, sorrow, unrequited love. It was consuming for me. And, um, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve isn't always easy. But okay, quick tangent. Did you guys know (laughs) um, that Emperor Claudius II, you know, he's a real dickwad, Not only did he behead St. Valentine, and that's why we have Valentine's Day, because St. Valentine was executed on Valentine's Day for secretly marrying the townspeople. Um, But the other piece of that is that because Emperor Claudius II thought that uh, men would only make good soldiers if they were unattached, and he said nobody can get married and be in relationships, and that's why St. Valentine was doing it secretly— Uh, to kind of compromise to, you know, showing he was a good guy. At one point, he makes a concession and says, okay, every year during the Roman festival, you can can have a girlfriend. So the men would draw from like a hat, basically, some random chick in town uh, that they would, you know, then I guess be betrothed to. And during the festival, and only during the festival, he would put a heart on his sleeve and wear her name. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, nobody cares. Sometimes I wonder like, okay, let's say there's a heaven and St. Valentine's chilling with the big guy. And he's seen what Hallmark has made of modern Valentine's Day. Like, St. Valentine, in pursuing his plight, got beheaded. How annoyed do you think St. Valentine is with people like me, who on Valentine's Day are like, you know, disappointed because their loyal spouse went for the spring bouquet at the grocery store. It's a real mixed bag of subpar flowers, when you would really just wish you would pick up on the fact that you like a more artful assembly of higher-end, more designer flowers. And then not long stem roses. Relax, Chris Harrison. No, no, no. I need a tea rose. I need a peony. I, I need uh, hydrangeas. Hell, I don't care. But a Carbera daisy? Uh, baby's breath? The carnations? Are you my husband or are you congratulating me for my solo at a chorus concert? You know what I mean? Anyway, I, um... I, in the episode at one point, I make a reference to <laughs> me feeling like I was reading the words of Destiny's inner child because not only was I a DC super fan but also... I feel like so much of the way I express myself in these journals is so indicative of where I ultimately ended up on this podcast. There's so many patterns here of like feeling guilty about how superficial my interests were paired with an incredible level of emotional depth that I don't think I totally know what to do with. And it kind of makes a lot of sense now that I am almost, but my job and talking on this podcast is me forever trying to lobby for the things we're told are trivial or unimportant or superficial and, for arguing for their importance in terms of balance and variety and range. I felt very shamed by um, the youth group in church who were so negative about media and culture uh, when all I wanted to do was find someone I could talk to about little Kim showing up wearing that pasty. I mean, I feel like I became a woman at that moment. Uh, Just, you know, if you're new here, this this podcast is designed to be long form. Save it for later if it's too long for you. No pressure. It's just that I've been doing a, p- a series on Patreon where I talk through each phase of my relationship, my dating history, like personal stuff. I don't really want to put on the iTunes feed. I love you guys and I trust you, but I really trust people that get pay me $2.95 a month for bonus content. I assume they don't hate me and won't use my vulnerabilities against me. Um, but I've been doing these episodes about my relationship and I kind of was like, you know, majority of my life I was very single and very sad and very much moping and main charactering uh, to insanely intense uh, love songs and just dreaming of a day when uh, somebody would love me, somebody would pay attention to me. So I wouldn't be as uh, riddled with unrequited love as I had been up until that point. And I know everybody's at different phases of their life and, and relationship, but I like to tap into this version of myself. I think a lot of us perhaps were melancholic to this degree and Really overthought and we're over dramatic about the situations we were in in our lives, but can you blame us for being present in our own lives for caring? Yet all the while, I feel horrible for being so superficial and caring about this nonsense when, like, it does matter. And I do like to honor this side of myself because I think it shows evolution and how it's so hard to see yourself out of a, uh, out of a certain situation when you're in it. But it ultimately becomes a really important part of your story. So. You know, for all those of you out there who are also members of the Lonely Hearts Club, today I celebrate us. So to give you an example of a main character, we'll start out easy. Um, <laughs> again, this is this is meant to be uh, an exaggeration and embellishment. This is to represent the hormonal intensity uh, of a person that probably had been watching too much Garden State and would picture themselves experiencing difficulty to the tune of some of their favorite sad songs and hope that someday their main character would see that this is just something they had to go through to get to their ultimate destiny. But sometimes these situations weren't, you know, they're just, they're moments when you maybe overstate your importance to the particular context. And an example I can think of when I thought like, wow, this really could have been something. <laughs> For example, picture this. The young Katie Kennedy is at a volleyball tournament at Disney's Wide World of Sports. We finish up with our games for that day, I put on my street clothes, and we go hit the town. I'm only, I don't know, 14? But that's okay. Why come all this way if not to see and be seen at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville? Well, I walk down the boardwalk at downtown Disney, wearing two layered spaghetti strap tank tops made by Energy with an IE for Target, paired with a cotton drawstring miniskirt that ruffles on the end that has a Hawaiian print because nothing says Richmond, Virginia like a hibiscus flower. I spot from across the boardwalk, a celebrity. At the time, what was then called Fox Family, then was ABC Family, now is Freeform, had a Survivor spinoff for kids. When reality shows were just starting, this Survivor spinoff for kids was called Moolah Beach, and the blonde mega hottie was standing there right before my eyes. And if you guys didn't think I was interested in reality shows from the from the jump, you are sorely mistaken. I was all in on Moolah Beach. I tuck my hair behind my ear like I'm Debbie Ryan and go off to him with my disposable camera. Before I know what a selfie is, I have my friend Ann take a photo of us. Uh, I can't see the picture right away, but I know it's one I'm, I'm going to keep for life. This is a moment, and beyond that, I felt we had a connection. I felt, we, I felt he understood me, and I understood him. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to find myself thrust into that amount of fame at the ripe age of 16. I can't imagine the intentions of the women that throw themselves at him. If only I didn't live in Virginia and I could stay here in this magical place I could only be so lucky to live, called Orlando. Maybe we could forge a relationship. Maybe this could be the love of my life. Maybe I've just met my future husband. I feel for him because I know that he stands in a crowded room and feels alone because all of these women are after the fame and the clout. And I begin to walk away wondering what might have been while I hear this song in my head. This moments are you know you can forget them if you allow yourself to and you know I think in high school this is the time when I put on the the biggest act you know while my brush with celebrity was thrilling and I felt for him and I thought I could be the girl to really turn things around I knew it was impractical I knew I had to walk away and it was dark blue but as Taylor Swift says, deep blue, but you painted me golden because soon after I got my driver's license and my brother's 1990 gold Honda Civic. And I really f- came into my own and I found the main character moment driving around that Honda Civic as this taste of freedom. I had a sick stereo s- system, kind of like you have to have maximum security for and take the faceplate off when you exit the car, uh, paired with, um... I mean, the, my DJ career was thriving at this time. I was low-key pirating music left and right. I was, I was devoting a great deal of time to curating the soundtracks of my life to go along with my emotions. And, you know, as we've discussed, your skin just gets tougher when a, a CD takes eight hours to buffer. And I would uh, go into situations in high school trying to set myself up for success, trying to be the cool girl, there's different ways you could do this, right? Uh, one was, of course, youth group, as discussed earlier. And you know, there's something great about high school dress codes, and that this there's, there's a workaround. around. Um, if you wear something slutty in the name of athletics, it's a okay. You know, if you went to an after school activity after volleyball, after cheerleading, tennis, track, whatever, all bets were off. And people would always show up to a youth group in their sports attire. And I wrote in my journal how intimidated I was by the mega hotties at youth group. And you know I observed popular girls closely so I could become one. And this one says, Today I went to West End Assembly of God Youth Group. This is July 17, 2002. Going to new things like that always makes me nervous, especially because I don't know anyone. It was pretty cool, very crowded. It made me feel insecure. I hate how I have such a bad problem with jealousy. I'm praying it will stop. Anyway, the reason I feel so insecure is because basically every single girl there is gorgeous and then there's me who doesn't know anyone. I wish I was more secure about my looks. It's rough because I know I can't really do much about it. I go on to talk about these girls and all of their cute boyfriends and better than regular boyfriends, they were Christian boyfriends. This is how I picture myself main charactering in that moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so glad to be here at Youth Group today. They're not kidding when they call it wow worship, because these beats slap. I love Shout to the Lord. I love God of Wonders. When we get to the point where we're harmonizing in both Light the Fire and Prince of Peace, I am reminded of why I am sweetly broken and wholly surrendered. Uh, If I'm being honest, I'm kind of here for the music, and I wanted to ask you another question. I'm really feeling like if I want to strengthen my walk in Christ, I will need the money to be able to afford a fresh new pair of Sauconies. I looked it up on Alta Vista. It is Saucony, not Saucony's. And Nikki, in front of me is wearing a pair and is getting all the attention from the boys. You know how they say in Texas, the higher the hair, the closer to God? Sometimes I wonder if the more you roll your Sophie shorts, the closer it is you are to God. Because I can see Nikki's butt cleavage and nobody seems to care. And if that's the case, I'd like to be adorned with some more uh, risque ensembles. That is, if it's okay with you and I won't make my Christian brothers stumble. Maybe I'll start by wearing my track uniform to youth group. I show them that... I'm a lady in the streets, but a freak at the meats, you know? I don't want to make my Christian brothers stumble, God, but I do want them to know I have shoulders. After all, I'm reading the back of Nikki's Sophie shorts, and they're telling me to cheer. And what will bring me good cheer is being able to wear my Sophie shorts that say the words V-ball on the back to Bible study next time. Because I know I shouldn't care about boys in earthly matters, but also, you told me I needed to date a Christian boy, and this is where I'm going to meet them. So in addition to, you know, taking care of my family and my friends and my dog Daisy and continuing to bless us all with good health and salvation. I'd also love it if you'd help the shy bass player in the worship band notice me. I think his name is Justin. He's the one wearing a t-shirt that says chosen, not forsaken, and has a studded belt with a checkered vans. Anyway, God, all for now. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. I remember, you know, and again, this is nothing against uh, church or worship music. What I'm saying is I loved the worship music. It was the best part for me but I was like a young and shallow kid. And so like, I'd start to pray and it would start out well intentioned, but then I would be praying. <laughs> it was like so stupid. I would, you know, tie in my material needs and justify them in my walk of Christ. And it makes me laugh to look back on because at first I like kind of believed it all, but you know, how later on you realize like they were all having sex, they were all drinking it. Like, I think that it's so funny how, in high school most people are participating in a level of at-risk behavior but the ones in you know that are seem to be really religious and in the youth group and are all involved in all these different things they're just lying about it and the ones getting shamed for it are the ones being more transparent about their extracurricular activities it's kind of interesting when you think about it anyway i hope uh, my main characters aren't getting this episode off on the wrong foot and if that's the case let's move them to the right foot because one of our sponsors this week is Features, uh, guys. I love these socks. They they're really good. <laughs> My favorite uh, feature socks. They're called the Elite Light Cushion No Show Tab. They have uh, like a like a cushion on the back of the heel, and while this I think is meant to be particularly helpful for elite athletes, uh, I and a practicer of aggressive leisure find just as much comfort in it because just in general shoes rub the back of my heels uncomfortably and this makes all the difference and I don't think I need to explain why but if you're a sock wearer you understand we do not need seams. Ugh, thank God uh, this sock company has a seamless toe. No irritating toe seams. Every single pair comes this way. And there's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Uh, For 20 years, they've been solely focused on delivering an unsurpassed performance sock. And this is the perfect holiday gift for everyone on your list because people give a lot of socks. Stocking suffers anyways. But like give them, these are nice socks. They're so nice that they have a left sock and a right sock which is really exciting because then you know which really goes with which. And they give you a custom-like fit that's highly durable, ultra-comfortable, and meticulously designed for performance. They have no-shows, knee-highs, ultra-light knit to maximum cushion, and have designs tailored for everyday wear, athletic performance, and extra support. They are a company uh, that was founded and operated out of North Carolina, which is where my family lives, which I love. And their mission is to create products that help you achieve your personal best, which we love. And if you want to get a pair of features for you and yours this holiday season, you can get $10 off your first pair of features just in time for the holidays. Use promo code BeThereIn5 at features.com for $10 off your first pair. That's F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S.com, promo code BeThereIn5. But it was interesting, The like as time went on, I found out that, like, the people in youth group and young life and whatnot were just lying about it. I remember one time hearing, like, people had sex in the car before they came in to, like, sing worship songs. And I was, I was was like, what? I was literally clutching my oversized pearls because I was wearing the kind of pearls uh, at the time that were costumey as if they uh, came out of clams the size of boulders. And they tied with, like, a preppy polka dot ribbon or something. And I'd wear them with, like, a, you know, pink popped collar polo shirt with a blue polo guy that I bought from the Steinmart Little Boys section in size XL Husky uh, because <laughs> that was cheaper than the women's. Um, I I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing that I definitely was like a late bloomer and wasn't ready to be as sexual as the other people. But I when, I when I found out this was happening in the youth group and I like wanted to be cool and I very distinctly remember the day I was trying to weigh my options here how I brand myself going forward um and uh, you know when so many activities outside of school that you're told to wear play clothes or you're told to kind of uh, what we would now i guess call active wear but at the time i you know you just show up in umbros and whatever you know old ymca soccer t-shirt you have or perhaps a peace frogs a big dogs a salty dog a brew through depending on what your trendy vacation destination of choice was for your family uh but then I was presented with a bit of uh, Sophie's Choice, one might say, pun intended. Uh, do I commit to being an all-out thirst object and s- transition to wearing spaghetti straps and Sophie shorts like the cheerleaders and sockinies, and uh, just kind of test the waters of showing my uh, sexy parts like my shoulders, elbows, and knees? Or do I remain true to myself by purity? Do I stay covered? Do I focus more on honor roll, less on selfie rolling? But alas, I did both. I went out and I spent fourteen dollars on a pair of yellow Sophies at the Army and Navy store. I'll never forget it. It was it was the day I became a woman, and from their low-rise uh, fit to the way they just you know like a, a too snug athletic sock that you sleep in overnight, only to realize you do need to wear a sandal with an exposed ankle the next day, and you have a teeth mark from uh, fabric that's too tight. A Sophie has a unique way of that white elastic just cutting into a love handle that really is unmatched uh, to the slits on the sides of the shorts as if they weren't already short enough. When I bought these yellow bad boys, I became a woman. There's a picture of me standing next to my youth pastor wearing them. I remember walking outside and honestly, all I heard was my If I wasn't actually gonna hook up with boys, these shorts were the calis I could do, you know? In high school, I really, I had two phases. Uh, I illustrated this at my live show photographically in that for like two years, I was like constantly getting my soul saved because I just, you know, I, I, I'm a people pleaser. And if people wanted me to come to the front, I felt bad if nobody was, all, was doing it. So I was sure, sure, sure. Like, yes, yes, I'm here. Uh, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, you are holy. Shout to the Lord, light the fire. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, baby, let my people go. Like I did the whole thing. Uh, and then I started hanging out with a different group I quit volleyball. I wanted to have fun and like live life because I was always at volleyball tournaments and stuff. And then the next set of like pictures I have are just like me with beer can towers and garages. I was always pretty well behaved, but it was important for me to sow my wild oats in a sense. And honestly, I was kind of over a lot of like party-ish stuff when I got to college and didn't like go nuts like a lot of people did because I really did have fun in high school and we were were all pretty careful and safe. And um, I feel like I look back on a lot of my decisions and i was kind of a mean girl and i regret a lot of stuff about later high school but um i spent the first couple of years in like a straight up state of like uh, youth group serious volleyball serious heartbreak uh the first two years of journals are like tough 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 and then when i'm happy i don't journal so i only have accounts of these first two years and they're like pretty tough and i want to talk through some of it It's uh, without boring you but I'm actually kind of in, into this like main character thing. Uh, I want to fast forward a bit to my college phase because my journals are always when I'm sad. And the Lonely Hearts Club, um, I got, I, I was still a, a bona fide member in late high school, but I definitely got more male attention. And I definitely felt more like satisfied and was doing less introspection. Uh, but when I got to college, S hits the F and I, just i honestly rotate through the saddest most depressing music at all times and i'm just like studying walking on campus having a coffee meeting a friend i just was very sad in college and a big part of this was i was like in love with somebody that was a like that none of my friends really like knew that well that um i like kind of would had a fling with on and off throughout college. It was a way bigger deal to me in retrospect than it was to him, but it was it, I don't know. it's like kind of embarrassing. It's this very consuming saga, and I wrote about it so much, and I talk about this in more detail in that patreon where uh, the the three part series I was talking about, which I've completed two parts of where I go through my dating history and meeting Greg and stuff and the like you know getting engaged and all that. but if you want to hear me react in real time on this patreon, I as I'm telling the story, I remember that one of my more defining uh, relationship moments in college (laughs) did, in fact, take place in Arby's and I completely forgot about it. But I wanted to determine the relationship. I I I was really, you know, I regret putting so much stock in um, Celine Dion and Barbara Streisand giving me love advice because in high school it was more like, uh, you know, ignore him. But then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was Garden State. I I don't know what it was. We were all like, tell him. If he doesn't, know, if you don't tell him how you feel, how will he know? And it's like, shut up, Bab, Celine. Like, no, do not tell him that the sun and moon shine in his eyes. Don't, do not reach out to him. Like, this is a horrible idea. In high school, I had much better luck, I think, because it wasn't like dance, like no one's watching. Love, like you've never been hurt. It was like laugh, like he's definitely watching. Uh, make him know how great of a time you're having, and ignore him until the bitter end. But all of a sudden, I was convincing myself that I needed to. Uh, I almost project-managed what I thought could be potential romantic main character moments uh, laden with grand gestures. I was watching a lot of The Holiday in Love, actually, and, you know, one of my life mottos is, if if you've got beef with someone, why not add cheddar? I, I had convinced myself that, you know... All that was standing between, you know, me being his girlfriend was me opening up the opportunity for him to ask me, for telling him how I felt, for saying, I'm not okay with the ups and downs, the twists and turns of this uh, friends with benefits situation. It's all or nothing. O-Town. And, you know... Uh, What I got was a response I wasn't expecting. It was remarkably straightforward relative to, you know, the shape of the curly fries I was eating. And he simply said, no, (laughs) I do not want to date you. I don't see you like that. I think we're better as friends. And I'm sure we've all been in this situation where this is very confusing to be told. You just see somebody as a friend when you don't act like friends. And uh, I was beside myself. I was heartbroken. I started playing guitar. And just as members of the Lonely Hearts Club do, I go home, I sulk. I, I, I try to channel it creatively. I start a memoir that I password protect on my Dell computer called NyQuil and Chocolate Milk, my journey to healing following that incident at the Arby's. I wish that was a joke. And I drive away, play the song in my CD player that, you know, the joke's on me because I spent hours trying to get it to burn only for me to ultimately need it the most when I had been burned. And my main character drives away, realizing that just as Snow Patrol was chasing cars, I was chasing boys in bars. And I couldn't help but wonder, maybe this Arby's was a metaphor all along, that the only thing more fast and casual than this eatery was our love affair. If I lay here,
1: if I just lay.
0: Fast forward a few months, I've changed a lot of dates and times to protect the privacy of these people that still probably don't know I exist. Um, I find the Twilight series. And the protagonist, the woman who's worthy for love. She's uh, insecure, she's a loner, she's sensitive. She barely talks, she just moved there. She's not the most beautiful or popular girl in school, no. All she does is sit at a lunch table, pull at her sleeves, and... Uh, put her chin down, but her eyes up, and sporadically make eye contact with people throughout the cafeteria. And I thought, I can do that. I, too, love to lurk and mope. And I go to the Math Emporium, which is a uh, Virginia Tech-owned building that actually used to be a Belk department store. They uh, converted into basically a giant room filled with Mac computers, like hundreds and there was too many teachers, uh, not enough teachers, and too many students, I guess. So, you know, as you do when you pay for college, you teach yourself uh, school subjects. And I had to teach myself calculus in this math emporium on my own time. And but here in the Lonely Hearts Club, we can't we can't be given an open schedule. Uh, we're too consumed with our feelings. So when we go to learn math and we sit at our Mac computer, we like Bella Swan just gaze around at the talent, checking out the scene, seeing who might make eye contact with us and understand that we're so much more than we appear to be on the surface wearing my sorority letters so people know exactly who I am on the surface. And while I endure the clicking, the whispering, the space bars. So it was a true melody of insanity in an undesirable work environment on several fronts. But I didn't care. I was daydreaming. I heard music in my head because just as I thought I would never love again after getting broken up with inside of that Arby's... Uh, you know, together said, I know my calculus, it says you plus me equals us. Maybe I'll lock eyes with someone unexpected, given I only hang out with, you know, people that are associated with a Greek organization. But at the math emporium, all bets are off. The math emporium has these creatures called GDIs, or goddamn independents, that might actually be there studying math, that might not spend their time at Derby Days, at Todd's Tuesdays. Playing, doing beer slides, uh, playing drinking games that really added to our the educational value of my college experience, like elevating the game slap the bag and doing a full tour to Franzia where we, you know, tore wine boxes uh, wearing athletic gear. No, I, I, I see from across the room a person that's strangely not in a Patagonia or in a North Face Denali. I can't identify the jacket because I've never seen one that isn't, you know, supposed to go inside of a ski shell. And while I had to worry about every other frat bro that my sorority sisters probably dated that were I was off the table, those chicks before Dick's sporting goods... Uh, all bets were off with this one. What is this corduroy? Is that is that collar shearling? I'm a sucker for a coat. I, I I love a man that has the confidence to pull off a double-breasted number. That sh- in adulthood is more common, but in college nobody was sporting a pea coat. When I met Greg, not only was I uh, floored that he had furniture, he also had coats like different ones for different weather, that fit him. And I was like, damn, you're a functioning human. Let's get married. I I, like corduroy the bear roaming the department store. I have a fixation with buttons, uh, which leads me back to the math emporium and the male wearing the corduroy jacket. Uh, Picture this main character moment where I'm teaching myself calculus. I'm frustrated. I'm wishing I could just meet somebody who understood me, who, I mean, if all goes well, could honestly tutor me because clearly wasn't doing well in calculus. But we meet eyes and, you know, just like Jacob inexplicably did to that infant Renezme? uh suddenly i wonder if i too, i'm imprinting as i lock eyes with his gdi and wonder if he and i like edward and bella could have a love that never dies You guys when i saw new moon when i've read new moon one but when i then when i saw it in the cinema uh wow i have big new moon energy <laughs> bella's despair at losing her glittery 400 year old beau is uh something i deeply relate to and uh anyway uh, so as I'm imagining our you know pending love affair uh, my mind will go wild. Uh, well, at this point, a freshman in college, I was still a virgin. Uh, it doesn't prevent me from participating in saucier media. Uh, that would help me understand what a more physical relationship was like. And when I say that, no, I don't mean porn. I mean, I would listen to this all-American reject song called Dance Inside. And anytime I met somebody that potentially would pay attention to me, look my direction, whatever it may be, in my head, not only were we metaphorically slow dancing uh, to the song I'll Be by Edwin McCain or post-Twilight flightless bird American Mount by Iron and Wine, uh, I imagined the... You know, there's the emotional piece, but then there's the physical one. And without much to go off of and with a damaging background in purity culture, uh, I just, you know, had had so many weird experiences where I was, you know, either made fun of for not hooking up with boys or shamed for even at the, the mere thought of it at church. We were called the the Pine Run Prudies, our neighborhood name with the word Prudies in high school because of not doing things with boys um, and mean, so meanwhile, our, our currency was shot at school, yet at church and youth group and Bible study, it was like, you're not welcome here. If you're not a prude to use a weird term. Um, and it was always very confusing, like what people expected in wanted of you versus what you were told your salvation hinged upon. And meanwhile, you're young and learning and you have a natural desire to explore and you're shamed before you can even start but it's not exactly desirable to be with these people that don't respect you in any way. And it just kind of resulted in kind of like a physical stalemate in many cases for me, um, where any and all interactions I had with dudes, like I deeply regret and didn't go too far, but like, I also didn't like like it or any of them, or I just like felt like, I don't know. It was kind of what was expected of you. And it's like sad for me to look back on now. Um, it's almost like if I had more comfort and ownership, I probably would have actually been more conservative because I wouldn't, I would have had like clear boundaries um, and understood like what I wanted out of the interaction. But the cycle of having so little understanding of, you know, anything sexually paired with the like deep shame spiral that can follow uh, is just like a horrible hookup culture cycle. I think a lot of women that grow up in, conservative or purity culture infiltrated environments um endure for a long time until you you are old enough and have the self-respect and understanding and experience to just realize that regardless of what you do or how you do it or who you do it with all that matters is your comfort your consent and your enjoyment right um but so much of it when i was like you know in my prime like so-called party years was just a rampant game of coercion that i just look back on and i was like honest like disbelief but sorry i'm being so big but you know my mom listens to this podcast it's, it's tough it, it, this is where it gets tricky but um i would listen to songs like this and just like dream of a sweet innocent experience of being loved of uh, you know, <laughs> I laugh now because, you know, it, so much emo music is dr- dr- just horribly misogynistic. But at the time I thought, gosh, these men, they have feelings. They know how to treat a, treat a girl right. When I finally got an iPod, I would just cruise around on the the bus, the Blacksburg Transit. Like every school, there was a rumor if you got run over, you get free tuition. Don't know if it's true, but sometimes it sounded nice. N- n- dream about p- having one positive intimate reaction where I, Katie Kennedy, self-appointed all-American reject was adequately, lovingly seduced by an all-American reject. And I- I honestly, <laughs> I, st- I still think this is a good song, and it's kind of a. Res- it's like, you know, outside of uh, Boys to Men, like I'll make love to you. I mean, there's a lot of great R and B anthems about sex. Don't get me wrong, but like, uh, I don't know, a mainstream pop ish song about sex that wasn't raunchy and that was kind of sweet and about like two friends. I don't know. I I, I always really like this song. <laughs> but anyway, so you know, you might be thinking. Okay, so what happened? We're dying to know. Did you, in fact, imprint on Corduroy? Uh, the answer is uh, yes, in the sense of I like to let my mind wander uh, and fantasize out of context of knowing anybody's uh, involvement with anyone else, anyone's history, anyone's personality. No, God, no. I just, I just like the idea of people. Uh, one of my favorite Dave Matthews songs of all time is uh, called "The Idea of You," which is also a book that a lot of people love, and you know. I've, i I'm changing a lot of timelines, names, things just to, it's like weird in this digital world. A lot of this is easily figure uh, otherwise. Uh, but I feel like what's funny is a lot of times my friends are texting me after these episodes being like, who was that? And I'm like, it's a, something or some, someone they didn't know or something they didn't know was going on. Cause I wasn't telling people these things because like, this is, it's just, I think maybe why I was saying destiny's inner child. It's like, I had to let this stuff out in journals and, Uh, keep it to myself and all of a sudden I feel like I need to to share it in a way I once couldn't just in case somebody else uh, relates or benefits or I don't know who would benefit from this main character discussion I do not know one time I was uh, I saw my friend uh, Jasmine last year uh, from college who listens god bless her and I was like am I representing myself well like I always want to make sure it's it's things the way they are in my head and memory. It's hard to always reconcile with the way things were in real time. And I think reading like the journals I post on Instagram being like, oh, God, yeah, like this is how I felt. I really I wasn't mistaken. I think I asked Jasmine because we were talking to my my husband was there, too, about like how it must be weird to hear n- me talk about nostalgic things that like you were a part like in a lot of times. Uh, And like, am I like representing it? Right. It's it's hard to tell in my head. I was like fun and cool and like kind of around and partied, but like also was like low key sad most of the time and also kind of reclusive once you actually got to know me. And she's like, yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. I was like, okay, great. I just want to make sure that I'm not (laughs) totally misrepresenting because it's like, you, you know, I'm a mirror ball. I'll change anything about myself to fit in. And depending on who you were around at what times you were, you're presenting a version of yourself. Um, but my close friends, I feel like I was pretty upfront with and I, who I still am friends with and love and, um, were so good to me, but, uh, I just like, even the, you know, person I was kind of dating on off, like was totally was not in a fraternity. It was like totally outside of our circle. It was kind of a separate situation. Like not a lot of people knew about. And, um, I think a lot of, like the shame and stuff too that like i'd never I, I struggled for a long time to be able to like speak as openly and as frankly as everyone else could about their escapades and um it's just funny to look back on uh trying to portray a confident person but being very much a half-formed one that had no clue what they were doing uh but anyway uh, back to corduroy <laughs> yes so let's say I, I i make eyes i imprint i'm again filled with hope my main character you know while melancholic and you know introspective is hopeful at her core and even though she keeps going back to that arby's guy who i do believe at one point in here uh is all culminated by him hooking up with my roommate um I I want to believe that there's something for me out there. I want to believe that people, someone could love me, not just call me when they're drunk, that, you know, maybe somebody out there won't hit on my friends. Maybe somebody uh, will actually respond to my texts. I, I, I craft them so awfully because they have to fit within the 160 character limit that an SMS text needs to, according to Sprint's short mail rules at the time. I, I had written communication skills down to a T, down to a T9 word. I could text, I could instant message. I I, I truly shined in the context of, of the written word. It made up for any lack of promiscuity I had that was off-putting, where I wasn't, you know, blowing other things. I sure could blow somebody's mind with an away message. I really felt like artistically, that's where I could Uh, tell people where where my headspace was, what I was feeling. I could lure people in with my song quotes, with my cultural references. You know, maybe it wasn't as astute as uh, quoting Oscar Wilde, but you know what I did quote? Sex and the city. Because uh, at the time, I wanted everyone to know that I believed some women weren't meant to be tamed. Maybe they need to run free till they find someone just as wild to run with. And like the Misty of Day, guy was. <laughs> I, just as I love to uh, fantasize in the main character moments to, to super depressing songs, I also loved to get ready with the girls and get pumped for a night out and get dressed for a date party and fantasize about my big entrance, about my, um, you know, scored soundtrack. Almost like Mean Girls, pass that Dutch moment when they're walking down the halls, the 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 kiss me moment, and she's all that. Uh, every leading lady needs her score, and getting ready to these scores is is, is crucial to a su- successful night out. And um, you know, I would start uh, assembling these playlists in my head. Uh, you know, I would do light research. I've been a gumshoe since the inception of the Facebook dot com. When I was looking up to see uh, what Corduroy's deal was, imagine my surprise. When it turns out he actually was in a fraternity and just, you know, has taste, I guess. And lucky for me, tonight, my sorority is is invited to a brilliantly creatively directed uh, social theme, uh, which is anything goes but close. And my main character gets ready for this party. And, you know, my parents raised me to be kind and respectful and to care about being smart and creative. And I had all these amazing qualities that, you know, when I got to college, I realized, God damn it, these are useless. Nobody needs any of that. I need to forget everything I know and I need to become two things and two things only hot and fun. So my friends and I, we, uh, we ideate uh, what we think is a genius, anything goes but clothes, uh, outfit using what we had in our apartment, which were Kroger bags. We make uh, stunning halter tops from uh, reusable totes we got from the Kroger, as well as pleated skirts out of paper bags. And when I tell you I felt like a goddamn Victoria's Secret model, it is the understatement of a century. So we head to the state party wearing our uh, Kroger couture uh, five, you know, smushed together in the back of a sedan. I am not sitting on anybody's lap. God, no, just like the tallest gal is never in the front of the photo or in the middle of the photo. They're always in the back. Uh, you always have somebody sitting on your lap in the car when you're roughly the ages 18 to 23. Uh, and as I stare out the window... Rolling my eyes at the sorority sister sitting on my lap. He's like, Oh my god, am I hurting you? And I'm like, You're 80 pounds. And you know you're not hurting me, and stop rubbing it in. But that, that can't get me down, no. I'm imagining my entry into this party. Uh, what I only can imagine to be the soundtrack to our, our love story, because I can only assume that much like my outfit, I've got this one in the bag. Don't
1: you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? Don't you wish your girlfriend was
0: and even though it doesn't make a ton of sense you know don't you wish your girlfriend was wrong like me don't you wish your girlfriend was a freak like me given my aforementioned uh damage i had not yet undone from purity culture uh i still wanted to pretend i was this person but no i was not raw <laughs> that's that's a that's a funny thing about hell is that it just, it is trouble escaping you when somebody's told you that if you do X, Y, or Z normal thing that you will, in fact, uh, be headed there in a handbasket. But for me, I was headed there in a brown paper bag because uh, this relationship was less in the bag and more that I just showed up there looking like a bag lady because uh, let's just party disappointed because I uh, let my expectations of my main character get so high when his interest was, in fact, so low. And it doesn't matter that I didn't know this person. It doesn't matter that he had every right to not be interested in have a girlfriend. God, no, I feel bad for myself. And because I spent all the emotional labor writing this Harlequin romance novel in my head, now I must be allowed time to mourn this relationship I will never have with this person I've never really spoken to. And I drive home for winter break. I'm lost in my thoughts thinking, God, they tell you. They, they tell you to live for the nights you'll never remember with the friends you'll never forget. And I try, I do. Uh, I wish I could forget these feelings. I wish I for- could forget that shearling collar. The-, the potential for me to find my independence through GDI, only to become dependent on my need for male attention from a frat boy that inevitably lets me down. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, Meredith Grey and Grey's Anatomy. God, th- you know that time she dismantled a bomb inside that guy? Uh, just like that. Uh, Every situation blows up in my face. And in a lucid moment, I realize it is indeed fair for me to compare my situation, my dire situation of a pie cap not being interested in me, to an essential worker's medical emergency disarming a bomb in the ER. And I cruise down the highway and remind myself to just breathe. 2 a.m and she calls me cuz i'm still away can you help me unravel my latest mistake i don't love him when it just wasn't my season you know one can't help but get lost in their thoughts on the interstate uh, I, there's too many good songs having to do with cars and no i don't mean the ear bleeding madness that is rascal flats version of life is a highway I mean, chasing cars, which I already alluded to earlier, but better than chasing cars, I often needed to remind myself in my deepest moments of emotional despair that I needed speeding cars. Here's the day you hoped would never come. Don't feed me violins. Just run with me through rows of speeding cars. The paper cuts the cheating lovers. The coffee's never strong enough. I know you think it's more than just bad luck. And the like Marissa shot that guy on the OC to the tune of Imogen Heaps hide and seek. I was already into their music and I I felt like I was like, oh, my God, there's such sellouts. This is my like underground band. Nobody else knows about. And then Jason Derulo destroyed the song forever in the OC, which should have been the least of my worries. Uh, You know, it's kind of funny because I loved I used to love that song Imogen Heaps speeding cars for many reasons, Um, but in the chorus, they talk about uh, now, now, darling, it's just textbook stuff. It's in the ABCs of growing up and I always found that comforting. Uh, And now, you know, I see the remarkable hypocrisy and um, driving back from winter break deep in my thoughts, chasing cars and speeding cars and thinking, God, nobody gets me. I'm so different, I'm so deep, I'm so misunderstood. It's in the ABCs of growing up. But then I would get to school and be back with my sorority sisters. And as you all well know, in this town, uh, we love range. Uh, and it kind of makes me laugh to think about me going, you know, all pensively from speeding cars to, you know, crawling bars. Because best at their core can... Be pensive and thoughtful one moment, but put on a sky top, maybe a tunic halter with a flared pant and a patent leather pointy toe pump, stack of bangles, maybe a bumpet and a couple crisscross bobby pins in the old hair. It's like when I'm at school and in regular life wearing my backpack. I am one version of myself. But when you swap the Uggs for a pointy toe or peep toe patent leather pump and you swap the North Face book bag for a crocheted gold giant sack purse with huge ass metallic plastic discs all of a sudden I'm so worried I'm not going to be able to keep this episode up. Um, I wish I could just play the songs. Uh, I'm laughing too because it's kind of like I'm living out my dream of having a radio show and being a Dalilah and getting to kind of give advice and DJ. Uh, But it's like funny to think of, you know, adult contemporary radio uh, legend spelunking through mid-aughts peak dance floor rap. (laughs) Honestly, it's my dream job. Uh, you guys know that the baths were a little less ABC one two three, a little more three six nine. Damn, she fine. This is something we embrace like a badge of honor. We can be both. We can be most Christ-like at water skiing. We can set hard and fast boundaries with males we hook up with if we so please, while still grinding into their pelvis on the dance floor fully clothed. It's all about range and. <laughs> Uh, of course, that was... I played... Uh, P. D. Pop was Freak Leak and 369 Damn She Fine is From. Get Low. I just think uh, Freak Leak is one of the greatest songs of our time and it freak up leaks through the cracks, if you will, because uh, Get Low to the windows or the wall is like a more iconic kind of chorus bridge because everybody literally did point to the window and wall of their respective gymnasium while they grinded into each other. But I think um, Get Low gets all the credit where... I th- to, to me, most of my... I, I like P.D. Pablo, but I really think most of my credit goes to the Ying Yang Twins. They are the real purveyors of the best music that just makes you want to bend over. <laughs> um, the Let me give you an example. OK, so if we're actually in winter break, um, coming back from winter break, I'm listening to 2 a.m. I'm listening to speeding cars, chasing cars, how to save a life, you know. I, my emotions are more fragile, more frayed than the songs by the fray I was listening to. And I have to go into recruitment week, which is the first week of January. And this is the perfect um, illustration of most, you know, the, the side of us that's most Christ look at water skiing versus the side of us that just wants to get down. Because recruitment week, the first week in January, you drive back and you couldn't, it was a dry week and you couldn't see boys and you couldn't drink for a whole week. Mind you, I wasn't even 21 yet, but I remember we were like, oh, my God, we can't drink for a whole week. We were like, you know, like that Disney Channel original movie, The 13th Year, where that guy Cody, he turns 13 and then all of a sudden starts acting really panicky and we'll just drink tons of water and like jump in pools. Uh, <laughs> and then he starts growing scales. <laughs> this is a terrible analogy. But I felt like like a fish to water is my point. With a really weird uh, roundabout reference. Uh, okay, that uh, is a quick tangent. That actor's name in Disney Channel's original movie, The 13th Year, his name was Chez Starbuck. And if i have have you ever heard a name with the kind of star power as Chez Starbuck? I did a deep dive on Chez Starbuck recently. He's married. He's a kid. He's very sweet. He has 8,000 Instagram followers. He hasn't acted since 2001. I mean, why would you after completing the greatest you know acting role of your career um you know he is what he calls well he calls himself according to his instagram i um, the shelf king of austin and i looked i peeped his website and damn my home could benefit from more storage and better organization because i'm tired of bending down and getting stuck on my knees to dig around in my cabinets but the shelf king they have a lot to offer they make custom slide out shelves that can be the perfect home storage solution for you no this is not an ad I just couldn't believe that my childhood, the love of my life, Ches Starbuck, not only so humbly left acting, but also now as an entrepreneur, Uh, owns a business called The Shelf King. They specialize in butler's pantries. Elaborate storage systems and second kitchens are how I imagine many people feel about sports cars. It's hot. And uh, if you live in Austin, please, 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 if you re- renovate please hire Ches Starbuck and please film the entire thing and maybe invite me over. I have a lot of questions. I loved him so much. If you go to the Wikipedia page for the 13th year, the, the plot, I mean, they don't make him like this anymore. Cody Griffin's an adopted teenager. His brother is a mermaid who left him on the Griffin's boat when he was a baby to avoid being captured. Cody establishes himself as a quick swimmer on the school swim team. He has a girlfriend named Samantha. He's under a lot of pressure, blah, blah, blah. On his 13th birthday, he drinks a lot of water and later jolts Samantha with an electric shock when he kisses her. He begins to feel strange. Cody drinks from a milk container, and he notices it stuck to his hand. Jess notices scales forming on Cody's hand and says she's only seen that kind of thing on frogs and lizards. Uh, Jess runs various tests. He learns he can generate electricity, hold his breath underwater for a long period of time, climb walls, talk to fish, swim extremely fast, and when wet, scales appear on his hands, arms and feet. They conclude that Cody is turning into a merman. (laughs) I know what you're thinking, Kate, while you're here. Who is on your DCOM early 2000s, Mount Rushmore? DCOM being Disney Channel original movie. And, well, yes, absolutely. I'm happy to share. Um, obviously, Chad Starbuck, um, Eric Von Denton from Brink, uh, Ryan Merriman from Smart House and The Luck of the Irish, though now my tastes have since changed. Uh, the last spot, I feel like this doesn't really count because it was 2006, but obviously it's going to be Zac Efron because... It was a really confusing thing for an older millennial to be a little too old for Disney Channel original movies, but to feel a lot of feelings for Zac Efron. But meanwhile, he was an adult the whole time. He wasn't actually in high school. But when High School Musical came out, I was like, I mean, Troy Bolton, I wish you were the music in me, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm the worst. I just, there's, I mean, I can't get on a decom tangent, but there's other dudes, but I'm sorry, Frankie Muniz from, yeah, I don't know, Miracle and Lane 2. You're not doing it for me. Nor was Andy Lawrence. It's hard. I mean, I get it. The brotherly love of it all. Like, it's if you got two brothers, why not, you know, toss in the Kevin Jonas? Um, but, like, Andy Lawrence was not the same as uh, Matt Lawrence. Oh, my God. Matt Lawrence? Are you kidding me? Uh, and Joey Lawrence was a babe at a, at a time. But I was a huge Matt fan. You know, the older years of Boy Meets World? When they were, I think they were like living in college together, and Corey and Topanga were maybe already married, and then Sean Hunter's half brother, Jack, was involved, and then there was also um, Angela, and then that tall redhead that looked like the babysitter from Two of a Kind, but wasn't the same person. Anyway. Good times. I need to deep dive some of these unsung hearthrobs. I feel like Devin Sawa and Jonathan Taylor Thomas get a lot of credit, and the Ches Starbucks of the world get overlooked, and I can no longer stand idly by. Anyway, so yes. It's Russia's a very misleading process because you go through it and every chapter is acting holier than now. They're wearing white. They're speaking of friendship and purity and uh belonging. Everything's very kumbaya. You listen to music like this. Then it was awkward when you saw girls you had met in Rush, who you spent the entire eight minutes talking to them about how you joined a sorority to participate in philanthropy, uh, when really your true colors were a little bit more. I was probably like, oh, yeah leaking soaking wet just like ches starbuck in the 13th year am i right (laughs) i'm just kidding i i definitely like i i I don't know i when i joined a sorority i was shocked at how uh womanly and experienced everybody was when i was just like oh wow i'm behind um but i mean the yin yang twins they have ayaya the whisper song shake bad uh they they have uh they, they collabed on Uh, The hit classic by Bubba Sparks with three X's, Miss New Booty, which is a song that really does not make a ton of sense. But this song will forever be burned in my brain because I had a weird conversation while it was playing in the background an apartment of a sorority sisters when a girl that was a few grades older than me in my sorority after I joined freshman year, we were talking about like women's weight. And she looked at me and she was like, you're not fat. You're just proportionate. I, what? I still don't know how to take that. I don't know what that means. It wasn't a compliment, but it was kind of, I was heavier then. And I think it was a way to say, like, don't feel bad about yourself. Uh, All of your parts are proportionately large to one another. It's just a really weird, rude thing to say. Uh, I also tell a story in my sorority deep dive, if you were in one and you want to hear more, Um, that I did last, what, October? That not, sorry, October twenty nineteen, where I crowdsource stories from people's recruitment experiences and whatnot. Um, that we like I, I always think things that I'm told are secret. I hold them. I take it seriously. And so we got when we rushed, we got split into these groups and where we had to like learn new member education and stuff to like see if we'd ultimately get to initiate. And I got put in with this group leader who was a really cool girl and like i like her now she's actually quite successful i need to check in on her on linkedin um but they were like you can trust us tell us what's on your mind it's confidential blah blah and i told her that I was kind of sad because like my you know friends on my hall and i tried to uh not talk about which chapters we wanted to get into because again we were suckers for like trust the process mutual selection you'll find your home and uh i all of like uh, several of my friends rushed dg at the time and they were my second choice but i put kappa to first i i really was lured in on their pref night it was it was strong it was a hard sell it was it was the cut cutco knives of uh recruitment i really really felt i needed whatever it is they were selling and it ultimately ended up being the right choice but This group leader went back and told all the seniors that I wanted to be in DG. But I put myself in that situation being like a junior or senior and hearing like some bratty proportionate uh, freshman. Like, I'm sure she worded it, like minced my words and said I wished I had been in DG or something. And I just felt like everybody was kind of mean to me. And I felt so betrayed that she told people that. And it really like bothered me for a long time. Actually, let me let me let me paint you a verbal picture of... Uh, what Pref Night was like on the other side when I had to court a young lady to try to get them to join our chapter. <laughs> this is a favorite main character moment of mine. First, I'd like to thank uh, some of our sponsors this week. This is a product uh, that me talking about I did not see coming, but uh, I thought it was for athletes, but I saw people talking about it for like muscle pain in the Facebook group and had to be a part of it. Uh, this episode is brought to you by a company called Theragon. This is truly a fantastic gift idea, especially, like, honestly, whether you're an elite athlete or a regular person, because muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing, and and Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your uh, deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. Um, And now it's quieter than ever. It's about the sound of an electric toothbrush. And the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's super quiet. You'll wonder if it's even on, and it'll soothe your aching muscles with its signature power amplitude and effectiveness. So what you can do is try Theragun for 30 days. Um, there's honestly, I've never tried anything like it. I've been, um, foam rolling my back for years to like crack my back and get rid of muscle tension but i can't even tell you the relief uh my neck my back my um (laughs) i could go somewhere else um my i I know so little about the human body uh that i can't even uh, think of the muscle group is it my traps my like neck and shoulder muscles I, I, i i theragun them constantly i love this thing so much it has saved me from so much pain. I travel with it. Well, I mean, by that, I mean, I took it to Michigan last month so everybody could use it. And I take it to places I go in the city and suburbs uh, just in case I am nervous about feeling uncomfortable. You can try Theragun for 30 days. Um, there's no substitute for it really. And you can get the, the personalized app, which is what I use that separates things by muscle groups, by need, whether you're waking up, going to sleep, working out a particular thing, uh, body part after you've exercised you're recovering from exercise you're warming up for exercise uh, all of you that are training for marathons will love this and it starts at only 190 dollars to learn more and check out theragun for yourself or for a gift go to theragun.com be there in five and get your gen 4 theragun today that's theragun.com be there in five theragun.com be there in five i swear you guys i'm not blowing smoke this is life-changing and I feel I'm, I'm awake right now at 2.30 uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because I just did this exercise called Tech Neck on my phone and I feel world's better. Anyways, I'm out of the ad now. I just always, when somebody's advertising for the first time, I try to, I want to take the time to explain to you how I use it, why I like it. Uh, our next advertiser that I promise I will move through is Away. We love Away. I get carried away with my words, and uh, I like to travel with my away luggage. They create thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They have, honestly, the perfect suitcase. It has features that make travel more seamless and Uh, you can count on their range of essentials to solve real travel problems whenever you take that next trip. And I know we're not going far and internationally and doing normal travel right now, but in the event, it's safe um, according to your local and state guidelines to travel to go see loved ones for the holidays, uh, or you're just going on a mini staycation or hell, even going to the next room. I don't know. Uh, Travel's weird these days. But no matter where you need to go this holiday season, Away offers a range of suitcases, bags, and other travel products made of different materials like polycarbonate, aluminum, and durable nylon. In a variety of color and sizes, and I'm excited because I just got the new line of soft side suitcases. They have this durable, water-resistant nylon exterior that is made to last a lifetime, and they expand expand in uh, one and three quarters of an inch, so you have the flexibility to pack even more into your trip. So I love the hard shell one, but I also love this soft side one because it's kind of similar to what I've used in the past, and uh, sometimes I just need to fit in a little extra, you know. But uh, each comes with four 360-degree spinner wheels, guaranteeing the smoothest roll. A TSA-approved combination lock and an incredible interior organization system. Um, I love that they're designed to be durable. They give you a 100-day trial on everything they make. They offer free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous U.S., uh, Europe, Canada, and Australia. And you can shop their selection of suitcases and bags at awaytravel.com/be-there-in-five and to gift someone something to look forward to this holiday season. That's awaytravel.com slash be there in five. This is one I wrote uh, a couple weeks ago on Instagram when I was thinking about prep night uh, because it just <laughs> it makes me laugh. Recruitment's a weird, weird, weird organized process for courting and formally talking shit about large groups of women. And, you know... Picture this. It's pref night. In our case, this is the fourth night of Rush. When the lights go down, the candles get lit. And you spend all this time trying to, you know, if people have to impress you during recruitment. They want to be in your chapter. But now they've made it this far, and the ball's kind of in their court. And as a chapter, you all have to creepily, eerily uh, wear white, s- stand arm in arm, and chant in low lighting... And seduce and maybe hypnotize uh, underclassmen into wanting to be a part of this chapter by insisting that, you know, from the outside, you can't understand it, but from the inside, you can't explain it. that it, it's not four years, it's forever. That sisterhood trumps all. Any any sense of community or togetherness you've had prior to this moment in life, forget it. because true friendship and true closeness is best exhibited by organized icebreaker activities, sitting in a large circle amongst a group of women you barely know and definitely don't trust. Picture this. It's pref night. I'm kneeling in candlelight to be eye-level with a stranger, who I tell them they already feel like a sister to me after two whole eight-minute conversations. I explain that, you know, I've, I've found my bridesmaids, that... Turns out class isn't just something you attend. <laughs> uh, uh, over to my left, a sister sobs into a loose-leaf testimony that is far too insular to attract new members as we link arms and attempt to lure these young women in with our tales of trips and campfires and s'mores, of breakups and flowers and uh, taking care of us when we're sick, picking us up when we're down... We don't tell the stories of holding each other's hair back, of dancing on elevated surfaces, of the time that, you know, somebody stole my boyfriend, of kicking people out who do things we don't agree with. We don't, you know, mention that at the beginning of every single meeting out loud and to the group. We make sure everybody knows who is on poor academic standing because Rachel needs f- further reminder that she's getting C-minus says. Uh, she knows, guys. She knows. We don't need to t- remind the, the entire chapter, every meeting. It's just its just not helping. Uh, I don't tell her that I've been you know, threatened many a time for not paying t-shirt fines, for not attending philanthropy events because I had to, I don't know, study. I don't know work. Uh, I don't really bring up that... I am, in fact, paying people who mandate my attendance to things and then find me more money if I don't go to this technically voluntary thing that I already paid them money to be a part of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I loved being a sorority. We're all standing in gauzy, white dresses. you think the dress code was baby's christening gown. We all look so pure. But they're not fooling me because I got forced to go to somebody's early-stage MLM sex toy party, and uh, pure romance it was not. Um, we stand in this circle. We're linking arms. I, I hold my breath, hoping no one faints, given that uh, sorority-linked arm circle knee-locking is a problem that affects millions of families every year. I tell the potential new member, PNM, that I may have moved away and had to face the fears of coming to a college where I hardly knew anybody. Roughly only 40% of my high school went to this state school. But somehow, I found my home. And I neglect to share that I'm terrified of 90% of the people in the room. But still, I escort her to the door. I give her a macaron. I whisper, I hope your wish comes true, as she exits. She joins another sorority, and I pretend we've never met for the next three years. But I got nothing, because just like the shower sex scene between Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, this fire hazard of a low-lit chapter room adorned for a proper seance in this campus-owned special-purpose housing, uh, suddenly, it feels like home to me. It feels like Then, you know, let's fast forward to summer. I worked as a bev cart girl. I wore Bermuda shorts, a huge oversized polo, uh, and I knew nothing about golf, and my cart backfired. So I would zoom around the back nine, uh, sounding like a gunshot went off right in the middle of somebody's backswing with reckless abandon, because I did not know that that was pretty distracting. And I'm not very naturally flirtatious, so... I actually think this was the right job for me because it has potential to be really creepy. But most of the time it was just like my dentist who was giving me a good tip and my friend's parents. So it wasn't that weird. But the guy I mentioned previously uh, worked at the same place uh, as I did that summer. And, um, you know, after telling me he didn't want to commit, he only wanted to be friends, he wasn't ready for a relationship, that he didn't want a girlfriend, didn't want to be, you know the things people tell you and they make it seem like they need to... Be you know spend time with themselves, get to know themselves better for a little while, and you are like, yeah, I get that. I'm totally understanding and reasonable. It's not it's not personal at all. You just simply do not want to commit uh, to anybody whatsoever. But no, um, this guy, uh, like truly, I, I I honestly think this within 24 hours of having yet another DTR conversation, I had found out that he had asked the girl who runs the snacks at the pool that he did not even know, before this summer, to be his girlfriend. You know, it's tough when somebody says, oh, it's about the friendship, and their desire to not commit, and blah blah blah. we've all had those times we've realized, you know, somebody's told us they're like a friend, like a best friend, they see us as a friend, they don't want to ruin the friendship, or make it all about the friendship, so as not to let you down, probably, but you hang on to that, and you're like, God, we would be together, we'd be in love, if not for this goddamn friendship. And it's tough when you realize that instead of having a little faith in their alleged best friend, instead of, you know, they, they, you make all the excuses in the world why you can't simply text back one of your closest friends. Yet, you know, out of nowhere will ask a complete stranger to be their committed girlfriend. And you can imagine that my sorrow following this news. I don't, Uh, the Arby's time and this time were the two distinct times in college when I truly was so sad and so down and out. The first time I wrote a memoir, this time I just drove and I stared, dreaming of a relationship that would be as long as my khaki Bermuda shorts I had to wear for this job and as consuming as this extra large olive colored polo. I thought, maybe I'm not proud of this behavior, but I was obsessed with my weight in college. And I thought, okay, I'll, you know, this summer, my parents are going on South Beach. My dad makes great salmon. I can tolerate this diet if the food is all prepared for me. So I'll go on South Beach and I'll have my hot girl summer and I'll come back and show him what he's missing. At this point, I probably was blessed with the song Buttons and didn't just have Don't You, so I could reinvent myself to that. I sat there in the car and did the thing I do when I'm not, you know, superficially or, or uh, immaterially sad. No, I do the thing I do when I was in utter, utter romantic despair, which is something my friend Marissa calls a uh, forward nostalgia. Uh, the main characters are based off a conversation I have with my friend Marissa, where we were talking about how when we were younger, we had our heart broken and were so disappointed so many times but desperately wanted to be loved that we identified it as sorrow, longing, and sadness as part of our core personality traits. And that it's almost confusing now we're both in relationships that these emo songs they don't they they don't sound the same anymore and it's almost a little sad and uh, granted it's not that i'm i don't mean to like i'm not romanticizing like mental health issues uh i've been there too but this is a different type of thing it's just situational sadness that's kind of developed from a pattern uh and you've convinced yourself you're like unlovable it's the unrequited love of it all it's why i was obsessed with movies like the holiday and love actually because i felt i was finally represented i was even though i say i'm a little more andy anderson a little less wes anderson andy anderson how-to girl had she had more confidence than i had that, that girl that i perhaps that i whispered i hope your wish comes true over a macaron would join capa i was <laughs> i really thought i had it in the back um no, I I was more like her friend Michelle, you know, in that conversation and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when they're trying to make Matthew McConaughey not interested. And Jeannie's like, oh, call him in the middle of the night and tell him everything you had to eat that day. And Michelle uh, <laughs> is like, well, what's wrong with that? Catherine Han's character. Um, I really identify with her character in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, the one that she's like crying until she gets brought samples from Composure magazine. I honestly have supporting character energy, but we're just going to ignore that for the sake of this episode. Um... It's kind of, I feel sim. I feel like Catherine Hahn and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And Judy Greer is an actress that is like always plays the best friend. And I have big Judy Greer energy. She was the best friend in, uh, I think, 13 going on 30. And The Wedding Planner in 27 Dresses. I mean, she's, yeah. You guys will know her when, she, when you see her. But anyway, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. This concept of forward nostalgia. So I was so upset about this, like. Random girlfriend when I legitimately believed that he did not want a girlfriend right now, I was so distraught. I felt so betrayed. Worse, we were supposed to like meet a couple. Like I think after a couple weeks, I was like, "I'm ready to talk" because he still like really tried to maintain a friendship with me. Um, like I was delusional, but I wasn't crazy. Uh, and but then we, were, I think we were supposed to meet like a Barnes and Noble, but he didn't show up, and I was like, "That's it." I ta- I was I was beside myself. And it turned out he was at a Gin Blossoms concert. And I was like, how dare you create such a bad memory for me on my turf? Because Follow You Down is an essential song. Once again, in the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And you know, it means a lot to me. It was honestly unbelievable. But anyways, uh, per forward nostalgia, it's it's almost like you're so sad that you the only way you can imagine yourself feeling this sad is almost to place yourself in a different relationship where the person actually loved you and you have this you know great passionate love affair but you just can't make it work for some reason and even though you did everything you could even though there was a lot of ups and downs it was a great love you'll always look back fondly on but you just know it's not meant to be I almost needed to pretend I felt sad for another reason than that I felt sad for the pattern developing in my life, which was unrequited love. And uh, to me, there's kind of two levels of sad. There's like, ugh, oh, this really blows. And then there's the blower's daughter. I
1: can't take my heart. can take my eyes
0: off you. Fun fact Damien Rice wrote that quite literally for the blower's daughter, for his clarinet teacher's daughter. When I hear the blower's daughter, I just imagine the two lovers seeing each other many years later in a crowded room. I look impossibly fresh and well adjusted. I've all but forgotten about him. I'm doing so well. Like I said, you know, dance like no one's watching, love like you've never been hurt, laugh like he's definitely watching, and leave like you never knew he existed. Well, for a brief moment, you know, the blower's daughter plays in the background and we we lock eyes and he thinks to himself, wow, that this relationship may have rocked us both, but it didn't break her. She wasn't kidding when she said she's only as strong as the cocktail she drinks, the table she danced on and the friends she kept. I was kind of torn between the blower's daughter and Cannonball. Both are great songs, but then I go abroad. Um, I... I truly, I, I, I will joke about this, but studying abroad was very transformative and important for me and my and uh, my mental health. I think in college, just to, I felt very out of place, feeling like everybody was having the time of their life, but I wasn't really. And then I thought something was wrong with me, and I was introduced to a whole new world, and it really was helpful. And um, looking forward to adulthood and not dreading graduation the way many did. And like I've said before, I was born to be an adult and I th- really started to thrive post-college. But while I was in it, in the thick of it, and uh, the Lonely Hearts Club, it was tough at times. But then I went abroad and, you know, Michael Buble had just come out with his own music. He had covered a lot of songs, but we were blessed with Home and Lost. And I would just peruse, you know, cobblestone alleys. Cities I'd never been to. I'd ride trains that were disgusting in the economy section, where the upholstery was coming off of the seat. I was eating pretzel sticks and uh, wines called like vin to t- vin, vin, vino tavolo and vin blanc, which just meant white wine or table wine. And it, it I, my esophagus has never been the same. It was incredibly corrosive. It was not meant for drinking, but I was on a budget. I would drink this uh, acid reflux producing wine with pretzel sticks, maybe some European chocolate wafers. I would look out the window of this really, really low budget train, probably coming back from someplace like Balmer's Hostel in Interlaken, the, you know, skydiving capital of the world where college students from all over America after two weeks convince themselves they're so forever changed by their broadest experience that they might as well become an adrenaline junkie and Make sure they have some content to really further rub it in in their Facebook albums that are titled with inside jokes or uh, it's mostly in other languages to show that, you know, you do speak conversational Italian and you're having more fun than they are. I, of course, to clarify we had bad weather, therefore I could not skydive, but I totally would have otherwise, obviously. You need to make sure that y'all are crystal clear, that you're thriving, that you're not missing the bar crawls, the frat parties, God, no. You're, you're, you're not just studying abroad, God damn it, you're broadening your horizons. And everybody on Facebook will be well aware of the personal rebrand you're enduring in real time. Because even though you couldn't care less about what's going on back home, you sure do make a hell of a lot of time in Western Europe to clock some hours uploading every single photo from your point and shoot. This main character moment is so important to me. I found study abroad to be so deeply romantic. And I was so, so single and alone that I, I, the, the overall experience was so important that if I ever fell in love, I wanted to share it with. My significant other, I wanted to be able to live these main character moments. IRL. I was so serious about needing to relive this experience while in love that I literally, physically, went back to where I studied abroad to get married to my now husband. Well, 40 minutes away. I was studying abroad in uh, Lugano, Switzerland. It's in a region called Ticino of Switzerland, which is Italian-speaking. In Switzerland, there are four different regions that speak different languages. Italian, German, French, and was actually technically the official language of switzerland switzerland i believe which is called romanche which is a a a latin derivative romance language like the like many others but uh i don't know it's some specific dialect that only survived in like southeast switzerland or something um anyway i got married in uh, verena italy which is uh on lake como uh the italian northern lakes uh are adjacent to lake lugano in switzerland and, um, you know, you'll hear more about that on the third installment of Patreon. It sounds like bougier and fancier than it was, but people would be shocked how affordable it is to get married in places that don't commercialize weddings the same way America does. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that maybe just is further evidence of my um, tendency to kind of romanticize and um, find meaning in my uh, surroundings because it just meant so much to me to think about being so lonely and longing and then to go back and ultimately uh, be in love but anyways I, I, I would be on the train coming back from places like Bombers Hostel um, and I would listen to James Morrison the pieces don't fit anymore Michael Bublé's Lost and think about like wow I've just it's only been two weeks and I've changed so much I last night I was in Interlochen And I experienced the city by staying inside of my hostel and never leaving. And We went to the basement bar and partied with Australians who were on holiday. We drank Red Bull vodkas, you know, just like the Europeans do, and danced to house music all night that I complained did not have lyrics. I want to tell my friends about it, but I'm worried it's going to be, it had to be their story. I'm worried they won't understand. How how can they possibly grasp my own personal evolution when they've never left Virginia like I so bravely did. I begin to wonder, will, will my crush even recognize me when this is all over? Given my chic European, mostly black, skinny, jean-laden pashmina-accessorized wardrobe and my brand new uh, live-to-work-not-work-to-live sensibility that I adopted from the European women I stared at in cafes, better yet, will I even recognize me? I spent so much time getting lost in unfamiliar cities, only to realize the whole time I was finding myself.
1: You oh
0: my gosh, guys, I just found my journal from studying abroad. I'm nervous. I actually... So I had the ones from college that I, and I think I read, I don't remember what I read on Patreon. I do not remember reading this because these are details that I vaguely re- recalled, but now I can confirm. I'm going to read a few excerpts from this in my high school journals, just to kind of come full circle and, and tell you more specific, uh, main character moments. But more importantly, I think there's just like a lot of, I don't know. I, every time I read these things, it's just, a lot to be said about my lack of understanding about mental health and how much I beat myself up about the things I liked and cared about. And I think there's, um, yeah, this this inner child of mine, this sweet inner child oh mine, spent a lot of time really resenting, loathing, like my natural state of emotional being and like apologizing for it in writing almost. Uh, And it's kind of interesting how I don't know at what point I just realized this is who I am and figured out how to like leverage it. And, you know, I don't know if leveraging it is building a career based off of describing things in exhausting detail like I uh, have done my whole life. But, hey, here we are. Um, But like, okay, for example, this is from January 13th, 2008. The original intent of Interlochen was to participate in the so-called extreme sports capital of the world. But bad weather changed our plans. When we got there, although dark and cold, we were presented with a pleasantly cheesy chalet imitation they call a hostel. Dare I call it an an alpine casino of dormant activity rooms and tacky decor. That's why it was so much fun. From the second we got there, we hardly stopped laughing. The room smelled like rotten eggs, and we were located behind the bathrooms. And Hannah's bed... (laughs) "'had a seemingly fresh blood stain on her sheets. "'There were no locks on the doors, which made us uneasy, "'but not quite as uneasy as when we saw a sign saying, "'Balmers, Hostel, Five Stars. "'We can't wait to see what the others look like in that case. "'It was truly hilarious.'" Um... (laughs) "'Liz said at dinner, I want to get so drunk I can't smell. "'The place reeked. "'After dinner, we went to Balmer's very own club in the basement, the Metro.' And we're greeted by a club scene similar to the sketchy clubs we love so much in Blacksburg. After a 10 euro Red Bull and vodka and sneaking in my 1.65 euro 65 bottle of Vin Blanc. (laughs) Earlier I said uh, like Vino Tavolo, but uh, yeah, Vin Blanc is what the white one was. I got Coop City. I was good to go. Clubs are so funny when people loosen up and dance. There were people from all over the world, all speaking. <laughs> the international language of raging, I suppose. <laughs> even though some people couldn't even communicate, the whole crowd raged on. Uh, Bree and Liz met Australian guys. I, on the other hand, am, too, am far too awkward to believe I could pick someone up. So I danced with Hannah and requested songs from the DJ that night. Finally, I got him to play Woomp, There It Is. I had a great time. (laughs) You guys. (laughs) Literally, I see the same song, I'm like, I'm awful. I'm awkward. No one will ever dance with me. Also, it was Australian, not Austrian. Um. January 16th, 2007. I'm sitting in the most adorable Swiss-Italian cafe, drinking a glass of red wine, enjoying local antipasti. They brought complimentary with the drink. I just walked down here listening to Michael Blu play. (laughs) Uh, As the snow fell on the beautiful Lake Lugano, is this really my life? I still cannot believe I live in a charming European city to go to school and my weekends are catered toward gallivanting around this continent. A whole new world to me. I'm sitting upstairs. It was a place called La Bottega del Café. Literally one of the cutest places I've ever seen. I'm looking over into the café while... Old friends are catching up, speaking the lovely language that is Italian. The cafe is bustling with lone coffee drinkers, passers-by, and young couples enamored by each other's very presence. People here have one quality unlike any other, collective group of people I've seen. They pay attention. They look you in the eye longer. They stop to talk. How are you? It's not a substitute for hello. It is a conversation topic worth delving into, even in the biggest of hurries. The women chatting at the cafe talk slowly and sit and carry on as if their attention is theirs to keep for this instant. It's fascinating, really. I race everywhere I go and think my own thoughts take precedence over others' comments. Eye contact makes me uneasy and romance I consider awkward. How did this difference come about? Why do we put such an emphasis on productivity and not on those we care about? Why is occasional leisure and simple everyday pleasure is often considered nonsense? It all comes down to attention, awareness, the simple transcendence from self-indulgences and goals of efficiency to concentrate on each other, if only for a glass of wine or a few minutes. I like how the women here look chic, but it's also simple. Just goes to show how excess is unnecessary. And with a little uh, innovation, what you already have can look brand new. I don't even know why I'm rambling (laughs) on about European lifestyles. I just feel like my life has changed so much. (laughs) Or my everyday, rather. You guys, I've been there. Literally for two weeks. And despite all my apprehension, it works. It's peaceful. I have no means of communication except for face-to-face. No watch to tell me I need to be somewhere. No television or excess internet access to inform me of my previous world. I'm strangely at ease. It's so bizarre that my so-called means of survival... I now hardly notice the absence of. At night, as I try to sleep, my ears are reminded by the sounds of the train making me feel like I'm in the city while the reassuring noise of the church bells on the hour tell me the world is still moving by. They constantly remind me that in my moments of confusion I am, for that moment, going to be all right. As the vino rosi starts to go through my veins and Michael's... Michael's? Oh... (laughs) (laughs) If Michael's enchanting lyrics make my mind wander, I can't help but wonder. Was she watching too much Sex in the City? Just kidding. I can't help but wonder. All my previous worries and emotional debacles, will they go away? Will I still be a hostage to my own feelings? It's hard to say how I will change from this experience. It's starting to become clear to me that my Virginia Tech microcosm, which I love so much, is not the world. I can only hope there are great things in store for me something to give me a new life energy, a reason to greet the day besides fleeting means of attention and self-created gratification. Getting caught up in things I cannot prevent has been so cumbersome on my time in college, a time so precious that I am nearly appalled at how I spent a lot of the time in unnecessary heartbreak and fixable internal conflict. I don't know who I am, not in the least. I am not trying to set up grand expectations for some sort of epiphany. I just want to learn and grow whichever way I need to. I wish I could spend my time writing about what I do every day, but standard lists of activities don't compel me in the least. This journal will probably be filled with temporary highs and thoughts of inspirational uh, and thoughts on inspirational rainy days. Writing should never be an obligation. It should take place at those moments when your thoughts are so, when your thoughts are overflowing and the only means of making sense of it all lies in your pen. I love those moments. Nothing in this world can compare with an ambiance, a glass of wine, and a mind filled with stories not yet written. (laughs) (laughs) We close with a quote from one prophet, John Mayer. uh, Belief is a beautiful armor that makes for the heaviest sword. Oh my God. Yeah, I won't read all this. I mean, I'm going to personally, but I don't think you guys need to hear it. Um, I think one thing that is interesting is that I, I I'm skimming through this, I'm very, I'm very hard on myself about like needing to appreciate the moment about not wanting to worry about things back at home, about not always feeling happy. Like this is one I didn't really have a good grasp on like mental health. And I think I didn't really understand that it can be kind of depressive and that like my moods and disposition is not always controllable by my environment. And I drove myself crazy studying abroad because I knew in my heart, I was having such an important experience I was loving so much, but I struggled to to kind of feel that levity represented in my demeanor. And um, as evidenced by that excerpt, uh, Lucano, okay. I really don't know what my problem is. This is also beautiful and I'm so lucky, but I just don't know how to appreciate it. Lugano is an amazing place. Everywhere I go it's nothing short of a dream vacation, but it starts to become normal to me. And I lose all perspective. I don't know what I'm missing, so I can't figure out what I'm looking for to fix it. I still think about my problems at home, and I just want to be fully in this experience, all things aside. I've never been able to figure out true fulfillment, and I'm starting to think that this is not so much a formula. There is not so much a formula to it as it is just simply relative to a personal choice i hear happiness is a decision and sadness is the mind's best instructor but i just can't figure myself out huh i don't agree with that i wonder where i heard that how can i manage to get in a bad mood over something petty when i'm sitting in the world's first and biggest beer hall in germany how can i complain about how cold i am at a concentration camp Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. I had just gone to a concentrate. Yeah, that that was a uh, shocking and important experience. or I think I'm being very reflective. How am I sitting here journaling in the on the water's edge in the Swiss Alps after eating an amazing lunch, even writing about how uneasy I am? It drives me crazy because I know it's my fault. I need to let go, just relax and not be concerned with anything but getting from A to B. I think it's hard because I am with people I already know whom I love, but letting loose and having a unique experience can seem too familiar when you're kind of in the same world. But at the same time, I don't know what I'd do without them. They say you change so much after a semester abroad, having seen so much and now navigating your way around the world, but I don't know what if I will. I'm terrified I won't. I need to detach myself so badly from my day-to-day concerns on Blacksburg. I'm hoping after seeing the world, I'll have a mental upper hand of sorts. But I guess it's up to me if I use it. I need to do schoolwork, get out of bed earlier, snack less, smile more. Snack less. (laughs) Smile more. Uh, Quit worrying about... Oh, the guy I was seeing. Uh, Go to bed earlier, get online less, think harder, walk slower, and just in general... Feel better about myself in this whole experience. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I'm so bad about expecting non-existent epiphanies and waiting on their on the universe to deal me a better hand. Some days I worried. I, I'm worried I have a royal flush and I'm bitching about the suit colors. I'm so lucky, but mull over irrelevant matters that don't affect the outcome. I'm trying to have it just as I like it, even though it's not important. Maybe, I don't get that. Maybe I need to stop looking and just let everything be. <laughs> I'm rage writing. Yeah, something happened with a guy while I was there, but I'll, I'll, I feel like I'll probably save it. Um, she behaves as if she were beautiful. Most American women do. It's the secret of their charm. I write an Oscar Wilde quote from the picture of Dorian Gray. Didn't I make a joke earlier that I wasn't quoting Oscar Wilde? <laughs> Can't help but wonder. Like, what am what I talking about? Can't help but wonder what the process is of having a good attitude. I wouldn't say mine is bad per se, but I can't help but entertain my ever prevalent questions of self-fulfillment. I'm listening to Daughters by John Mayer. It makes me think of my dad. I miss my dad. He's, he's so wonderful. So is my mom. I miss them a whole lot. I'm gonna cry. Uh, it's weird feeling so detached from them when their support is essentially my reason of being so detached. Oh, I still miss them. Ugh, years later, I still live far away and I never meant to. I truly think, too, it's interesting. I think back then I was kind of tortured about struggling to feel happy. But, like like I said, the royal flesh comment. And <clears throat> I think that I, I really didn't uh, understand that mental health had has little to do with your environment. Or... It, it doesn't always have to do with your environment. I think I thought the way you think and feel is within your control and what happens to you should influence your mental state. And I drove myself crazy because I could not identify the disconnect because I am so lucky. And that's a thing too. I'm always, I, I want to be always be careful when I'm talking about um, like anxiety or depression or having struggled because all things considered, I've had a, a wonderful life and, Nothing, it's not never anything that extreme. And I don't want to pretend for a second like I understand true struggles the way many people do. Um, but uh, the flip side of that is wanting people to understand that it's not always your fault if you feel down. It's not always your decision if you're not happy. And I think that was a really misleading thing. I've thought my whole life that it I was making the choice to not be able to get out of bed because all things considered, I wasn't suffering. When that's not the point, you, pain is pain. You only know your own experience and you only react to your own experience. But beyond that, our mental health is so much more to do with our, our wiring um, than the things that happen to us. But the other thing too that did happen is this is less than a year after um, April 16th, 2007, which was the, you know uh, uh, what happened at Virginia Tech when i was on campus and i i don't think any of us really knew what to do or like how to cope and i think i didn't really process that for years i was affected in crowds for years i was very jumpy for years like i just really i think that like i didn't know how to adequately mourn and move on and process something that was so defining in my college experience And beyond that, I do think people live differently when like the, you know, you coast through life and then the worst thing you can possibly imagine happening does happen. Even though I wasn't personally affected, being there in such close proximity, uh, I think messed with me in ways I didn't really, I kind of pushed to the back of my mind until later in life when I kind of had to really process it. But anyway, I think that's definitely... Affecting uh, this experience too and just in terms of me feeling very lucky to be alive. Um, not that I had survivor's guilt, but, you know, it's like I had classes in the building where it happened the semester before and I never, it always was a little bit of a mind F, but like, why am I here? Like, I'm so ungrateful. I'm so mopey. I'm so lame. All I care about are all the, you know, boys and buble. Like, I. it's, it's an interesting thing now that I look back on it because I definitely struggled a lot with like wanting to make my surviving that incident like worth it in some way I don't know how to explain it I, I, I probably can't get into that now to loop back to the ones from 2002 this is what like started this whole thing is because I had never read my high school journals it's kind of what they like Uh, main character thing completely stemmed from uh but anyways most of it is just about how I hate this guy I dated that honestly was a monster uh freshman year he uh, looking back it was like borderline predatory if I'm honest he dated a lot of freshman girls and um like destroyed me like broke my heart it was the first time somebody ever like paid attention to me it was like kind of a two month fling. He was an upperclassman, like a cool one. I like could not believe, I was like, uh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Some freshmen wait a whole year for an upperclassman to pay attention to them like this. Um, but then he would like, he very like crassly uh, broke it off with me, I think on AIM. And like would just only reach out when he like thought one of my friends was hot. I wanted to date them. He kissed some of my friends, which wasn't great. Nice of them either. But, um we'll just call him jess i talk about him a lot and uh i hated him but i would write about how i hated him and then i would go back and edit the journal entry and be like asterix sorry i was totally just pmsing like i'm always apologizing for a hot take i said i talked to jess tonight and yes i still hate him he faked caring about me while he was still upset again the guys in 14 uh, and then when i got off his back he ditched me would it be so bad to occasionally say hi to me online or give me a call to hang out I wish he'd just admit that he doesn't give a shit about me, woof, and I honestly don't know why I care. The thing that sucks is that everyone thinks Jess is this all-around nice guy, but no one knows the truth except for me. He's a complete jerk who goes from freshman to freshman because he can't get anyone in his own grade, lying and taking advantage of people. When he feels the need. he goes and finds his new three years younger girl of the week. I was actually the girl of the month or so, (laughs) not to pat myself on the back, until he cheated on me prom weekend and figured I wasn't good enough while he was extremely hungover, and dropped me the next day. And yet I still want to be his friend? I ha- what? I don't remember that. That's a thinker. I think of why I care so much, and I guess I just get so mad that he doesn't realize what he's done to me. He's been a complete and total bastard. What's a funny word usage to me? And yet I still manage to think he's a good guy. These are mixed messages. We don't talk anymore. I know it's because he has no desire to talk to me unless it's out of pity or because he thinks... He has to be his nice self or wants to get with one of my hot friends. I try to confront the fact that he broke the promise he made to me about a hundred times. And his reaction is, what do you expect from me? Obviously, I shouldn't expect much considering the fact that all he does is lie. The least he could do is try to be friends. If not, it was a complete waste of time. It means nothing to him in the first place because I'm just another one of his freshmen. But to me, it meant a lot more. So that's why I wanted to keep... At least a friendship, because at one point I cared about him. This is weird that I'm arguing for a friendship, but I probably just want, like, to be able to snoop on him. Maybe I hate him so much because he was my first serious older boyfriend and I wanted to experience the experience to be better. I wish he knew how many times I cried because he hurt my feelings, and I wish he knew how much I think about him. But most of all, I wish he knew he was truly a jerk, so maybe this won't happen to the unfortunate girls in the future who choose to date Jess. In a nutshell, all the good times, the bad ones, the kisses, the lies, the laughs, the long crying nights, the putting up with crap... The almost depression, the cheating, and everything that came along with him or things I did with him, the verdict still remains jading Jess was not worth it. Then on uh, July 26th, I said, I feel bad I said this, but at the time, he was being a jerk. Or maybe I was PMSing. Oh, Lord. I talk about how I went to the beach, and there was a, uh, well, I say, while we were were at the beach, a 30-year-old man was taking pictures of me in the water and said he was our cousin. I'm scared because that's how girls get raped. Yikes. Like, why am I writing that in a journal? Shouldn't I have told an adult? It's crazy. Ooh. I guess he cheated on me in April, and this is July. I go to somebody's house named Sarah, who tells me that one of my friends had made out with Jess. I say, if I had found out about this a long time ago, I would have seriously gone into a deep depression. But <laughs> but I have way too much to be happy about, to care about them. Sure, I'll always be jealous, but I can't help that. She's a pretty girl, and I don't blame him. I like her, too. She's fun to hang out with. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. Um, um, here it is. I was like, why am I being so positive? Uh, because uh, while we were, uh, while I was told this at this person's house, uh, we met up with some boys. Uh, let's call them Zach and Dave. Um Zach so-and-so, Dave so-and-so, who is really hot, BTW, then two other dudes who I don't comment on their looks. Uh, It was a tad weird because we didn't know them, but Zach and Dave are so hot, I didn't care. (laughs) And then the next entry is that, Zach, one of the mega hotties, asked me out. I said, I went to a movie with Zach. It was hard because I don't know him at all too well. Oh, you guys, a bunch of you guys said on Instagram, like, it was funny that I used the words all too well and they're kind of center page, center stage, center page. Um, is all too well a common phrase? It is kind of funny that I used it because it, it, normally you would say it was hard because I don't know him all that well. And I don't know why I said all too well. Foreshadowing. But I think it went fine. I don't know if he's too interested. Mixed signals. I hope he is, though. He's really cool. We saw Mr. Deeds. It was really funny. Now I get those very, very sneaky jokes. <laughs> Uh, So-and-so's party wasn't all that fun. One of those where you're supposed to dance but nobody does. I spent the whole night with all these other people. This uh, other guy is really cool and I suppose I have a thing for him, but Brittany doesn't like me being around him. Oh, well, not too much tonight. Cavity filling tomorrow. Hooray. (laughs) Okay. Interesting that I am crying over uh, Dave. Or, sorry, crying over Jess. I'm changing the names. Uh, I get asked on a date by Zach, hoping he likes me. Meanwhile, I'm talking about how I'm uh, into one of my other friends, but I can't date him because of Britney's being a cock block. Oh, next day, July 25th. (laughs) Wow, boys are stupid. When I went out with Zach yesterday, it was pretty much a date. So I was like, okay, I'll see where it goes from here. Today, I told him I sort of liked him, and his response was something like, Katie, I think you're really cute, and I had a good time hanging out with you. But me and... Karen, planned to go out when school started, so I can't get into anything serious right now. Shut down. First of all, if he knew that, why'd he take me out? I really don't like those one-time things. Talk about being short-lived. I guess I'll be moving on then. I suppose I have a thing for the guy I previously mentioned, but Brittany would be really mad if we ever dated or whatever. Friends come first, even though it's hard to remember. I may still hang out with him tomorrow. We'll see. Oh my god. I went to the dentist, doctor, Walmart, CVS, and Price Club today another big day. I'm laughing because that guy that I keep saying I like, but my friend would be mad if I dated him. He lives in Nashville and, uh, he actually plays in like a band of a pretty well-known band now. And he, um, was in Nashville, walked by Zany's in January, saw my poster on the wall or on the marquee or whatever it's called. And was like, holy shit, I went to high school with her. And we were pretty good friends back then. And he showed up in my show and came back to the green room. And like, we it was so crazy. What a full circle moment for this young gal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How do you like me now, Brittany? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Brittany's a doll, by the way. Uh, I feel like this is a funny thing where if I wanted to make this like Taylor Swift writing songs about boys, I could. But I'm trying to be vague because to be fair... None of these people, like, did, really did anything. I just took everything so personally. Kenzie's mom was out of town, so we were bored, so we drove her mom's friend's car around the cul-de-sac because she left her keys in the house. Kenzie and G are good drivers, but I'm horrible. I backed into someone's yard, and I always forget the car is in reverse. What we didn't think of is the car was sort of parallel parked on the street, and we had to get it back to how it was so nobody would find out. We had no idea how to do that. We're all 14. <laughs> It took us like an hour to figure it out, and I think we did a good job. It was so fun. God's been answering my prayers a lot lately. I talked to Paul twice this week, once in person and once online. He's so nice. I still have a thing for him, but there's no chance. This is a guy that we went, I went to church camp with. Oh, now we've jumped to August 23rd. I saw Paul at Showbiz Snowcones last week. He came in and talked to me. I was so arrow, arrow, arrow excited. He's really nice. I'd like to get to know him better and possibly be a good influence. But before I do that, I have to prevent myself from being influenced. What? <laughs> I think he was high when I talked to him. <laughs> I'm sure I prayed about it. School is, oh, is starting soon. I'm sort of excited because I want to start over. Be nicer, friendlier, not procrastinate, less selfish and bitchy, etc. Again, I'm 14. I want to be the girl everyone's comfortable around. One of my many shallow dreams is to be a homecoming princess. I don't know why, it just always looks so cool to me. I also want to keep my faith stronger and be respected for the decisions I make. And quit following the crowd. There's way more to life than a high school boy in a Friday night party. I need to remember that more often. I'm also annoyed with people so easily and I need to work on that too. Oh, well, it's one30 I'm tired. Bye. Oh my God. I just, <laughs> I was just texting my sister, this excerpt about, uh, this guy, Zach, that took me out. And what I didn't write in my journal, cause I was probably worried my mom would find it. Is that like, he weirdly took me next to a lake and we made out. And I remember I was like actually kind of uncomfortable and, um, Okay, you guys, our last sponsor this week, you know, I've come a long way from my teenage discomfort uh, to now partnering with a company that makes truly one of the most comfortable shoes on the planet. And that is, of course, Rothy's. If you guys are needing uh, another idea for this holiday season, give the gift of comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes from Rothy's. Have you heard about this company making stylish, sustainable shoes and bags probably if you've listened to this podcast because they've been a great partner for the past year or so and they make carefully crafted uh, shoes and bags with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic they have so many best-selling shoes. One is called the Point in Black. It has over 3,000 near-perfect reviews. I have the Chelsea bootie in uh, leopard print that I love. And uh, you can spread the, the holiday cheer with the newest Rothy's styles like winter-ready shoes, brand new bags, and washable masks. Ooh, I need to take a look at their masks, actually. In uh, a Rothy's gift card, you can let your loved ones pick the perfect present. Rothy's has an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns to choose from. And they are, uh, are made of a seamlessly knit thread that is, like I said, made from plastic water bottles, and they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. What's crazy is that they've transformed nearly 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. And another major bonus is that Rothy's are fully machine washable. Every time you need to refresh, you can simply toss them in the washing machine. From start to finish, Rothy's prioritizes sustainability and manufacturing every step of the way. I have been wearing the Chelsea Booty and um, my white loafers, and these i talked about in an earlier ad actually how much trouble i have with shoe break-in these legitimately this is what they're like they're known for this is why glamour called Rothies one of the top gift ideas you can't go wrong with and why allure says rothy's is the eco echo echo eco conscious gift you'll see on every list um because they legitimately have no uh break-in period thanks to their knit to shape design and the material it's kind of crazy so if you vaguely know somebody's shoe size it's a great gift that they'll definitely love because they're, again, it's so freaking comfortable and washable. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, you can get a gift card if you don't know exactly what to get. So if you want to check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com be there in five, that's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability will meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. <laughs> so my sister texted me saying the guy I went to, that, to Mr. G's with, She's like, didn't his brother date Tatiana Ali? And I'm just dying because, yes, it's such an amazing high school anecdote that like would make somebody cool. And it's just so awesomely 2000s. Um, Like his brother, like that was way older or something, dated Tatiana Ali for like a very brief time. And she came to a football game at my high school and everybody was like, oh, my God we short, sure, but unfortunately, like We are on the map. Tatiana Ali is here. A Fresh Prince fame, of All Day Long I Think of You fame. Is that her song? All day long I think of you. I say, so, oh my god, I, this is what I'm doing. Okay, so where do I start? This is April 27th, 2003. There's so much going on. Shall I write of my meaningless sorrows and my superficial high school problems? Sounds good. First off, I think prom is the most overrated thing I've ever heard. Well, maybe not the most, but it sure makes the top 10. Sophomores aren't legally, (laughs) its the law, supposed to go unless asked to accompany an upperclassman. Fortunately, my boyfriends, no, fortunately, my friends, all older boyfriends, are the hot girls and have received prom dates. So here I am stuck listening to perpetuating conversations about dresses and who's in whose group and how they're going to do their hair. It's funny. I could say I don't care, but I'd be lying. Anything that is a privilege makes it 10 times cooler, such as getting asked by someone older and experiencing prom as an underclassman. I can't say I wouldn't be hyped if I was going, but for now, it's rather irritating, especially since the more I hear, the more I wish I could go, but it's just not in the cards, I guess. I can't ever really find a boy who likes me. I just don't feel as pretty as the other girls. Don't you hate when all your friends experience a ridiculously fun time and never cease to talk about it weeks after? It feels if prom is going to be one of those times, when you're the person speaking of this joyous occasion, it's no big, and others who weren't in on it are the last anyone on anyone's mind but I listen to it and it sucks big time and furthers my envy that my friends are always a step ahead of me in everything. Boyfriends, grades, God, (laughs) the works, God. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, It's something I've tried to get used to over time, but it still keeps me up at night. Don't get me wrong. My friends are the best, but it's just hard having your closest companions be so damn perfect. We all have our problems. I've learned that since I was three. What happened when I was three? But how come others' problems seem so unevident and they and their good qualities seem to prevail high above the rest, making them seem more flawless, while well, you sit here and bask in your sorrows and think of everything going wrong. Again, guys, I'm 15. The grass is always greener, I guess. It's just one of those innate things you never get rid of. Such is life. Bring on more shallow experiences to laugh about in my 20s, and yet this is only the beginning. But it's who I am. Take it or leave it. Again, I, oh my god, I joked earlier, take me or leave me. I'd just seen Rent. I think at like my friend Elise's house, and I wasn't supposed to. Um, but for now, I guess I'm okay with myself. And then I say, now that I'm out of my superficial mood, I'll go with a topic more along the lines of current events. I really want to be well-rounded and not so much caught up in my ever-shrinking, unsignificant world. So I try and pay attention to things going on that are actually important. So my new topic of discussion? <laughs> War. <sighs> ah, This is April 28th. Love. Love is a many splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Not to sound like a broken record of a Moulin Rouge soundtrack or anything, but in this case, Ewan McGregor speaks the truth. <laughs> there, there is no better, uh, there's no better descriptor, no better metaphor really of being a teen in a post 9-11 world than to uh, experience the, the content whiplash between the war on terror and the elephant love medley from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I mean, I just think this is funny that I'm writing this at 15 and I've never been in love. I won't say love is all you need, but yes, it's a many-splendored thing. I'm not saying I've experienced it, but I think I have a pretty good grasp on the suspect. I know enough to realize it's invincible, wonderful, and is one of the most important aspects of life. Oof. And I know enough to see that all my friends with boyfriends of two months who think they're in love aren't. I don't doubt the limits on loving people don't exist, but in order to be in love with a person, it's something far too special to mess around with. But I feel like there are really two types of love I guess I'm talking about. Our love and God's love. Oh, gosh. Human love, I think, is something inexplicable. It is an infinite comfort that someone's by your side supporting you through thick and thin. I love my family. I love my friends. My true ones, that is. You know you love someone when you get so mad at them. It's hard to confront them because you don't want to hurt their feelings, even though they just hurt you. Even if you do get in a fight, it doesn't matter because you have love to fall back on. And once a foundation of love is built in a relationship, it's forever. (laughs) So sweet. I don't believe adults when they get a divorce because mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore. It basically means they were never in love in the first place. Oh, my God. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think life is so complicated. I think marriage is a gamble. I, I honestly think that people... I, I, I respect commitment and the sanctity of marriage, but I think there comes a time when two people are truly not good for each other and truly have grown apart. And that now as an adult, I as a child of somebody's, I would rather grow up with happy parents who weren't having to stay together on my behalf, yet it was making them miserable. I would hate to know that somebody did me on my behalf that made them less happy. I am so pro doing whatever the hell it is you want to do with your own life that allows you to find joy, happiness, and peace. This is what I mean with judgments. It's so easy to say stuff like that until you or someone you know is in that situation and you want what's best for them and you completely change your ideals on its head to accommodate the firsthand c- circumstance that you see in front of you. How could you not when you love somebody, right? You want to support them. And I think that we we people like my 14-year-old, 15-year-old self give these hot takes that are just completely uh, ignorant of any and all nuance and circumstance. I mean, what about abuse? What about um, infidelity, what about, I mean like, my God, don't. No. Ladies, if it's not working, eh, get out. I hope you know it's very hard for me to read these things out loud, but I guess it's good to showcase that we do evolve. That's why I feel like it's so important to be 100% positive, no doubts about it, in love before I get married. I wanna know everything about them and them know all about me, so we'll know that between our similarities and differences, we'll make one another whole. This is interesting. I totally yeah very uh pie in the sky misunderstandings of love I feel that it's often what is looked for when trying to find love is the one element in your life to fill in what you don't have for a sense of completion so it makes the one person you are truly in love with so special you become part of each other and that's why if something happens to someone you love it hits you too if not harder you feel the same emotions and think each other's thoughts because the bond love creates conjoins you into one And that, my friends, is impossible to fall apart no matter what. After all, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Hyphen, Moulin Rouge. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you guys. Uh, I'm telling you, I listened to way too many boy band ballads. I really, this is why I didn't have a boyfriend. My expectations were far too high. Um, The next type of love is God's love. Don't comprehend his love, and I wish I could. He just loved everyone more than you'd ever know. There's a discrepancy between love and lust and between likeness and tolerance. He doesn't do any. All he is is love. He sacrificed his own son, his own flesh and blood for us all, including the people who don't believe or are too smart for him. Oh, I'm one of those people now. Uh, I think that that's amazing. I can honestly say I don't favor people who don't talk, wait, I cannot say I don't favor people who talk bad about me. But God loves you when you betray him. He loves you when you make mistakes. He's the only person who truly knows you well enough to see past your sin and have confidence that you are wonderful. One of his own children. The love of a person completes you in a worldly sense, but God's love completes your soul. Once people realize what's laid out before them and choose to love God in return it's a bittersweet feeling you're ashamed of all the years you wasted turning your back to him but you're thrilled to know someone eternally loves you and will guide you for all the years to come god's always there with open arms no matter what the circumstance god could have used his power to make the nails fall off the cross but he didn't that's love april 29th another breezy topic it's interesting because i mean that's that passage was sweet and uh i'm sure is you know it's like what you want to believe right i just don't know how i feel about it anymore i just the like word choice and phrases and the way i speak is just so i just, just is like i know what i'm doing and i can hear myself repeating what other people are saying like i think it's kind of clear it's clear to me when words are mine versus when they're somebody else's um Here I say, I think that poetry is by far the coolest form of expression. Oh, yeah, says everyone in high school. There's something about a poem that makes you analyze things more in depth while providing a feel-good tone that lasts after the poem's over. Poems are my escape. They're my comfort. No matter what the circumstance, emotion is best displayed through poetry, and I love that. I was just watching some show on VH1 about rock stars and sex appeal and what they're wearing. I began to think, who really cares? None of this matters in the end. This resulted in a poem out of my own disgust in an ever expanding superficial society. It's called In the End. It goes Looking around, I see a world of blank faces. People who come and go, yet leave their filthy traces. They walk into life but run the other way. They've been been given everything but fail to obey. Living in other shadows, lost in its shapely dark, and reject the right path without leaving a mark. It's a path that leads to where we're destined and remains to be ignored. Some are just too blind to see we live to serve the Lord. Uh, <laughs> all those with hollow eyes fail to comprehend. Faith in Jesus is all that matters in the end. Yikes. So maybe it's not Emily Dickinson, but hey, I try. It just seems that lately people are really losing sight of what matters. Oh well, as long as I've got my head on straight, I'll be okay. Anyway, the power of poetry is something I really feel is taken for granted. One time I wrote a poem entitled Beautiful... Um, about the unimportance of outer appearance and submitted it to a Richmond Times Dispatch Poetry Contest. I was a winner and my poem was published in the newspaper. A few days later, my dad told me that his secretary had cut out my poem and framed it and put it on her office desk to remind her that it's what's on the inside that counts. The fact that one of my measly poems has effect had affected her in such a positive way touched me. I didn't even care that I won the contest. Just knowing I made a difference was all I needed. Is that cool or what? I still think about it and it makes me happy. Maybe someday I can do it again. I'll pray that I can. There's more poetry to come. No worries. So long. <laughs> while I'm caught in a good mood, I'll make a list of my favorite things. Chocolate milk. When the wind makes noise. Songs that I know the words to. Eye contact across the room. <laughs> very Bella Swan. Deep talks. Morgan's newscaster voice. Winning. Seeing my best friends in the hall. Wrapping presents. No, I don't like that. doing that anymore. I'm actually not very good at it. When <laughs> When Daisy, my dog, does cute things. Holding hands, late night phone convos, laughing till my stomach hurts. Finding that some things never change. I just read a chicken soup book. Like <laughs> uh, dressed up boys writing poems, lying in bed listening to the rain, uh, swing sets, finding money, <laughs> hot laundry out of the dryer, waking up realizing I have time to sleep. When someone I don't know says hello, I don't like that anymore either. Good online convos that last for hours, laughing at myself, inside jokes, Christmas decorations. A's when I haven't studied, when my whole family's at the dinner table, Kelly's, my sister's stories, people who wear glasses, still true, answered prayers, he, having someone to think about, new outfits, a good lunch packed by my mom, baseball players, crying, when my brother sings TV theme songs, waking up to a new day, hoodies, ceiling fans, remembering something hilarious, Mary Kate and Ashley movies, <laughs> being close to God, and most of all, I love to love. May 24th. I don't understand myself at all. Maybe that's a good thing, though. Why take the suspense out of life? Anyway, I have a lot of weird quirks about me. Credit to... (laughs) I give credit to this guy that was on my bus for calling me quirky and for telling telling me what it means. (laughs) Um, I always want something until I have it. I really wanted to get to go to prom, hence my first entry. I got asked and I wasn't too enthused. In fact, saying I was happy could be exaggerating. I don't know why. I mean, I really wanted to go. I guess things that are out of reach are more appealing, and it's sort of the opposite of that saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I know what I want till it comes. Oh, well. It's just, on the subject of prom, it was a good thing I had low expectations because the actual event surpassed my negative thoughts. It sucked. My group seemed to be a bunch of non-conformists. <laughs> I'm so sad that that's a bad thing. They were too cool for the dance and left after 20 minutes and went to a hotel party. We went to people's houses to change first, and in order for my date to change, he had to get his clothes at the hotel. I was really uncomfortable when I was there for maybe five minutes, and I don't think I've ever been so uncomfortable in my life. I'm just not like that, I figured out. It's times when I'm taken out of my comfort zone that I feel like I'm really being tested. In high school, most li- kids just live to have a good time, and they don't care about much else. I thought I was kind of like that. I want to be like that, but I realize I'm not. My group wanted me to lie to my parents and say I was going to after prom when actually we were going to the hotel to party, and I very well could have. Instead, I risked my chances of looking like a loser and went to after-prom by myself. The night kind of made me realize a lot of things. I value my parents' trust more than a night of partying. Saying no is hard, but sometimes it's necessary. It also made me be thankful for the friends I've got. Real friends don't put you in those situations or ditch you to go get drunk. (laughs) Plenty of my real friends have done that too, and I love them still. I'm not so happy to say prom sucked, but it's nice to know something good comes out of everything. And I'm getting more experienced each day. June 4th, what an awful week. Things have been going wrong, whether they hit me directly or not. I've been thinking a lot about my priorities lately and where I stand with God. The more I'm realizing I'm not even standing, the more, I, the more I'm realizing that I'm not even standing anymore. I've lost him. And I think that's why I've been slowly getting unhappier. This is kind of intense, you guys, but a guy in my school died in a car accident the night before. I said, Oh, well, I don't know him personally. I kind of know his brother. And the reality of it is hitting me hard i went to a youth group for a sort of commemoration service and it got me thinking if i were to die tomorrow did i leave everything behind would i be satisfied with my life would i be strong enough to in my walk with christ have a perpetual relationship with jesus in heaven did i leave any sort of good influences or christian impression on anyone's life sadly i can't say yes to any of those i need to change i need to be who i was and stick with my beliefs most of all i need god I wrote a letter to him expressing all I feel and want him to know, so he will help me. Dear God, I don't understand anything. Why does my heart long for you? Only at times when I have nothing else to fall back on. Why would you take the life of a 19-year-old boy? Why have I slowly allowed you to slip out of my life, replacing you with short-term pleasure and meaningless priorities? I want you back more than anything. I know you are my rock, and without you, I am nobody. But at the same time, I'm confused, because you made me somebody, with all of these issues. With all of these doubts. And yet I still never cease to turn my back and betray you. I take worldly affection too seriously and set my own standard for love. When I have eternal love laid out before me, I sin, you forgive me. I reject you and you hold my hand. All these things running through my mind are slowly killing me. I'm an easily influenced naive 15 year old with a lot on her mind. I have a lot of growing up to do, but I can't do it on my own. I need to look past my unnecessary satisfaction and seek you when life is over. I struggle with losing my faith. And don't want to be carried through this life faking my desire to have a relationship with you. When I start to lose grip, I ask that you hold me tighter and remind me of what I have. Love, Katie. That's interesting. The way I remember it is like uh, the way everybody talked and worshipped and like wrote, you know, journaled and and did like devotionals and talked about their relationship with God it was like, they were like so close, thick as thieves. They were like, they seemed like they meant it. They seemed like they really felt it. And like, I really, I always had a really hard time feeling it. I really always felt like I was kind of faking it. And I would write journals like this to convince myself that what I wasn't feeling was actually there. And I'm even admitting to the big guy in this letter that like, I'm having trouble. Like, I don't, like, I feel confused because i have all these feelings but like you made me and you made these feelings uh i feel confused because i'm sure i went to that service and they were like glorifying this person being in a better place and saying that at least his uh, i actually remember that conversation about him at least his soul was saved and mine had been saved so many times at that point but i mean i was kind of like well i've done that but like i kind of just did it because i felt pressured to go to the front of the room i felt very weird about church stuff the whole time and I think what frustrates me and why I maybe take things out on uh, a lot of, you know, organized religion is um, I feel like you can hear in my voice, like all I'm ever doing is saying like, I'm stupid. I'm selfish. I'm concerned with superficial things. I know this is insignificant. You can hear me. You can hear from the guilt. Is that like I was dealing with normal teenage things. I was having normal ups and downs and problems. And uh, you know, with youth group, it was like, those things don't matter. You're being tested. You're being tempted. This is part of your testimony. Do, do Like, it, w- whereas when I talked about prom, that, like, felt like me talking because I still really respect my parents. And I, genu- I genuinely am not uh, super prone to risk. Uh, and I didn't trust the people I was with, and I just didn't want that. But I think that, I don't know, it's interesting reading this because I, a big part of, you know, like I said earlier, like starting this podcast even of uh, lobbying for the importance of the trivial for arguing for range for arguing for the light and heavy is I just, there was a lot of messaging early on that I wasn't allowed to care about media and culture in the world. I, the, earlier I spoke disgustingly of watching VH1 uh, behind the music of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And how I wrote a poem called in the end about like Jesus is loving all that matters. Like the, it, it, it makes me sad how, I wanted to be, I think, a nice person, and I wanted to do the right thing, but I thought the right thing was being judgmental, and I thought the right thing was to criticize myself and to feel self loathing anytime I drifted from the Lord, to feel, uh, to be mad at myself anytime I spent too much time caring about boys or pop culture or friendships or whatever. Uh, the whole time I'm just like apologizing, making excuses. Like I, it's just interesting how I think I made a joke earlier that reading this is like Destiny's Inner Child. I just see so many full circle moments in terms of like I'm peppering in like in you, you know the Abroad Journal or this one or otherwise. It's like uh, you know Mr. Deeds and VH1 Behind the Music and Moulin Rouge and quoting you and McGregor and Michael Bublé and whatever. It's just. I, the this sort of thought process and confessional cadence paired with pop culture injections paired with a lot of apologizing and wanting to be a better person but not really knowing how and uh, with trying to find a way to express on paper what I felt like I guess I couldn't tell anybody else I needed a vehicle for it. And I just see so many parallels about that with this podcast now and especially the mission of making sure people don't feel badly about what they like and take ownership of it people don't feel badly about not having it all figured it out spiritually or otherwise wanting to empower people to revisit what they were told and to be able to separate their own truth from the other people's truth projected onto them I genuinely think that I have a career that is so in alignment with the things I've always loved and cared about because especially in kind of that phase of my life um where i was really really depressed after uh i got married and uh, like the mat business like i kind of made myself obsolete and i literally couldn't find a job i know where to go i it's just i don't know why but it's this really dark period for me and that's when i started this podcast and wrote that book and stuff and um because like taylor swift said in the folklore um uh studio sessions she said something like if we're going to recalibrate like everything we know, we we have to start with what we love. And I go back to poetry, I'll go back to lettering, I'll go back to um, the spoken or written word, in a sense, I'll go back to kind of waxing poetic about my feelings in some format that no one will ever see or hear. But at least I got it out uh, and breathed life into my emotions. I think that the uh, I feel blessed that my career, I guess, is, um, you know, kind of, I feel like an example of when you're forced to get back to basics, back to the things you love, that in some weird way, even though it might not be mass success or exactly what you think it looks like, I do think that our sincere effort makes such a difference in uh, driving uh, what we work on. And that if we're genuinely interested, and it doesn't feel like work, we want to keep doing it, it probably will in some way work out eventually. But you can't be blind to the practicalities of life. It needs to be logical. It needs to be financially feasible. You need to have enough time. You need to be able to incur the risk. What I don't like is pie-in-the-sky conversations about do what you love and everything will fall into place without factoring in the very different starting points people come from because everyone is a little different. And anybody who says that that doesn't matter is lying. But I will say that from my place of great privilege, um, when I was at my lowest and Tried to, once again, find the things that made me me, made me feel not like I was lost and floundering to find my place in the world, but kind of centered me, um, was doing the very things in childhood that always I always felt made me different. Now with this podcast, I see through these journals, the things that I want to talk about and the way I want to speak maybe isn't always the best for a conversation. And sometimes I just need to get it out in a really long format and really 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 windy uh, word choice Um, but I see value in in inconclusive emotional expression that doesn't have an answer, that can't be tied up in a bow but that sometimes just deserves uh, to exist and doesn't have to be pushed down, doesn't have to be forgotten, doesn't have to be disregarded in favor of more important things the more I can find fulfillment in the things I've always loved that independent of their output their quality their commercialization or you know reception by an audience they just the effort itself fulfills me it's not about the reception it's about the doing of the the activity that matters when you can for lack of a better word this is so cheesy but when you kind of know your own compass and can separate what's yours and your opinions and your needs and motivations and purpose and your own thoughts you've developed after your own experiences and wisdom uh, have enabled you to kind of separate what everyone always told you from what you've actually experienced and therefore believe when you have your center and your arrow and your own compass you can kind of orienteer your life minute to minute day to day week to week uh, and be have a level of comfort with the ambiguity because if you're following something that's uh, important to you and, uh, you know, representing values and beliefs that are uniquely yours, you know, that wherever you end up, at least it was a product of your own doing and your own desire and not somebody else's. And I do think that that's kind of a differentiator and it's hard for me to explain my career decisions, but the metaphor is almost like I've realized that when I rely more on that kind of compass and less on being given a map that was drawn to direct somebody through someone else's terrain. through somebody else's purview of a particular landscape and not mine, even though it might give me the best chance at what success looks like to them. It's impossible to account for the top (laughs) topography (laughs) to give a map metaphor um, of my situation that will make that map or make that blueprint, whatever you want to call it. Um, as meaningful and as accommodating to my life and there will always be a slight disconnect that the map is not something I myself got the chance to draw as I went but rather I was told where my destination is before anybody even gave me a chance to forge my own path you know I know I speak in the cheesiest metaphors, but this is how I think. (laughs) uh, I really do see it as these things help me feel more self-actualized and who I've always been. And when I look back on my career, I honestly have made so many of my choices solely based on knowing that some of the activities and tasks that comprise the things I set out to do were so deeply ingrained in what fuels me, what gives me purpose as a person And I feel uh, grateful that through some of the more difficult years, I was forced to revisit and reintroduce myself to those things. It makes me feel like my inner child is being heard. And I feel a lot happier, I think, as a result. I'm not always happy. My God, no. But I went through these. I, I, I feel proud of her. I feel like she's come a long way. Without getting too far into it this late in the episode on the religion piece uh, I never know how when at what point people are coming in if you want more of my thoughts on like faith and religion the true love Wait series there's a two-part series on purity culture where I talk a lot about religion and also in the first episode called I saw the signs from like March or April I talk about my uh, breezy <laughs> very uh flexible approach to faith but I think in my case a lot of the immense influence of these like youth groups and church camps and stuff. Then I, and I only say this cause I know I talk about them a lot and it's annoying, but I guess I'm trying to explain through these journals and stuff like why I think I do is because I feel that they robbed me of the purity of thought of being able to make my own mind up about things. I feel like they made me feel guilty for a lot of my um, default settings and I beat myself up about it for years and likely still do. And maybe I would have done that independent of them. But I definitely know that my tendencies to caring about uh, boys and being so emotional about breakups and friendships and being so sensitive and caring about pop culture and media and music and all these things, like everything I got excited about or lit, lit me up uh, was completely squashed in the context of what was supposed to be this amazing, pure and holy light in my life when it really just felt so restrictive and repressive And I kind of come out of that eventually and realize, ironically, in being told that I'm being fulfilled, I feel like I'm living a a half-lived life. And I just got to a place where I just felt like I genuinely didn't feel in my bones that this life was predominantly supposed to be about restriction and sacrifice, and that I believed in all of the love aspects of Christianity, but really resented all of the restrictive aspects of the way humans have organized the way we practice it. Uh, In my, uh, you know, adult life, in my more progressive uh, sort of evolution, I have, you know, a whole host of issues with how I feel like over time, so many things are kind of almost dog whistled and developed as these religious views or uh, attributes or ways of living or these rules. And they just are designed to exclude and to shame and to repress and I just, you know, the Christianity I learned about when I was a little girl, none of that is what it meant. (laughs) It was all about acceptance. And um, I'll subscribe to any and everything that preaches love and acceptance, and I will rage against any and everything that equates one's purity, divinity, holiness, salvation with uh, rejecting and marginalizing other people in this world and in this life that they are absolutely no better than. So when I go after religious stuff, it's never meant to be personal, hurtful, controversial. It's my inner child wanting a chance to scream at my instincts of being accepting, of being understanding, of championing nuance, of understanding people are doing the best they can more often than not. And less about me wanting to tear something else down But I felt robbed of that opportunity to have a clean slate where I just got to um, perceive the world how I wanted to based on my own nature. And I've had to unlearn so much of it. And I think, honestly, I'm quite bitter sometimes when I think about it. I think sometimes in going back, it helps us um, feel more strong in our convictions, more um, certain in pursuing doing more of what we love, more of what makes us lose track of time, more of what comes naturally to us, and of not perceiving things that maybe aren't desirable to other people or maybe aren't typical as shortcomings, not feeling guilty for, for caring about something that you don't care about anymore, to, to resent a point in time when we lost perspective and to say we should have known better to say we should have been able to realize it wasn't a big deal isn't fair to the version of you that was not doing anything wrong all they were doing is being present in their own life and reacting to the things that happened to them and it's near impossible to do this perfectly but i don't know if i ever regret the way i ever react to something as long as i'm doing it sincerely because you really do learn and if you want to hear more about uh how awful i feel like i was at the beginning of my relationship with greg and how much i learned from those situations you can listen to it on patreon.com slash be there in five it's just a bonus content website i'm gonna leave you with my final thought of my main of my main character moment that's particularly poignant to me especially because kind of marks a real plot twist i didn't see coming i first need to be desperate and beg you to tell a friend if you like this episode to tag it on instagram stories uh, tell me if you're private Word of mouth is all I have. It's very hard to grow a podcast. There are a lot of podcasts, so it means the world. You guys have no idea. I'm so appreciative of all of you that really go for the hard sell for a podcast that is a uh, a bit of a hard sell to your friends. And um, also, I really would love to get to, I think, 4,000 reviews. Uh, So if you would leave a five-star review, if you want to write something that's cool, even if you just want to do the stars, it makes a huge difference. People that don't like something love to make it known, but if you do like something... It just helps out creators so much to get the feedback to get the review um so thank you in advance and um links to my patreon will be in the episode notes as well as all of our advertisers thank you to feels thank you to away thank you to rothy's thank you to theragun i guess uh the last main character moment i wanted to share with you is a song that i really love that i fell in love with because of a movie called love actually and even though my feelings toward Hugh grant i now feel very, I felt confused after he banged the nanny. I feel confused now uh, after watching The Undoing. That's not a spoiler. Um, uh, he, That movie I loved so deeply, just like The Holiday. And one of the reasons I obsessed over both The Holiday and Love Actually is because of their depictions of unrequited love. And for the majority of my life, I felt very um, destined, stuck, Uh, I felt inevitably I was always going to be in a situation where I loved somebody deeply and they did not love me back. This happened over and over and over and over again until I met my husband. And it's a very, uh, it's a, you know, you're in a tough place when even despite all logic, you're drawing a mathematical pattern from your limited dating experience, almost a self-fulfill, a prophecy that you're, you're doomed When you're not, and it's not an adequate sample size, and the people you've dated do not represent anyone. There's a pot for every lid, and there's a person for every person, and there's somebody out there who is looking for exactly the things that you bring to the table. You cannot say with any confidence, any statistical confidence, that you know for certain that that's not true. Because you cannot have possibly met everybody and understand everybody's individual circumstances and situations that might make them the perfect person for you and vice versa. And it's really hard to maintain that faith in the meantime. And it's really hard also for people that are adored so easily what it's like to not be felt like you're loved in return. And there was a scene in Love actually where this guy, which now I see this a little differently because it's so strange, he's in love with his best friend's wife, which is messed up. But let's overlook that for a moment. And he goes to her apartment knocks and says you know tells say there are carolers or something along those lines and he flips the cue cards and there's a boombox playing. And he, they're being quiet and he says but for now let me say without hope or agenda just because it's christmas and at christmas you tell the truth to me you are perfect and my wasted heart will love you until you look like this and it's like a picture of a mommy <laughs> anyways he confesses his love to her it's a little weird because she kisses him and he says enough and it's like good enough for him. And he like gets closure somehow magically. But that was his like grand gesture. But before that grand gesture, um, they... Kira nightly keeps trying to get her wedding video footage. She like can't get in touch with this guy and he's being weird. And then she goes to his apartment and they watch the wedding video footage and she notices that he just kind of keeps zooming in on her face it's very strange but then he like runs out and pacing around the city and this song by dido here with me is playing and then they kind of montage through everyone's uh, complicated love stories in the movie and it's just i don't know a song i've always loved that has always made me feel deep and thought about all of the ways we interconnect and uh, the meaning of love in our lives and at a time when I felt I was never being loved in return, at a time when even up until the very last week before I met Greg, I still was finding receipts for jewelry. Guys I was dating were buying other women. Um, I would listen to this song and just be like, feel, even though all things considered, this guy is loving, his wife, you know, friend's wife is weird. I just really, really understood what it felt like to be all in and for somebody else to be. All out. And I think that the ultimate uh, main character moment is thinking back to myself, walking through, you know, driving through the suburban streets in high school, then through the Blue Ridge Mountains in college, uh, walking across campus, being on the bus, moving to New York City. Everywhere I went and walked, I would listen to this song and have a main character moment masking in the inevitability of me being a person that will always just love somebody more than they are loved in return. If you want to hear this full story of how my actually only successful relationship happened, that's what this series I'm doing on Patreon right now. Um, But what I think is so cool is that little did this main character know, and this this was but a subplot in her life. that Years later, she was 28 years old. Somebody who understood her, loved her, knew her love for romantic comedies uh, for her, this movie, this scene, uh, and appreciated the things she loved, even if they weren't the same things he did. Little did my inner child know that one day this certain somebody would be standing in my backyard in a tuxedo, with these very same Love Actually cue cards that he'd flip through. But just as it usually is, the real thing is better than the movies. Because, well, the Love Actually guy had to move on with his life. The last cue card in my version was somebody incredibly special asking this main character to be his wife. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.